Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Who's that, Who Jake? I genuinely feel really bad for. I was thinking about this yesterday. So today is Tyrese Halliburton's birthday, right? And I got to thinking about, like, how big a buzzkill would it be to have your birthday be on the 29th? Because you only, tr- I mean, if your birthday's February 29th, if you were born on a leap year, Sure, like every three years you celebrate your birthday. Like, when's your birthday? Well, it's February 29th, but this year I've got to celebrate it on March 1st. Like, that would get old, right? There's something about your birthday where, like, you look at the date on the paper or, like, on your phone or whatever, and you're like, yeah, it's kind of cool. Like, it's September 3rd. Like, it's cool, right? It's In your case, is it December 31st? January right? 1st. January 1st, But you were okay. within a margin of error. So, you know, there's, like, a coolness about that date, yeah. right? Like, for you, I mean, it, it, probably a buzzkill because... Everybody just calls it New Year's Day. Nobody says today's January 1st, right? But here's what I want to do. And I, I, I don't know how many of these people exist, to be honest with you. And I, that came off the wrong way, but, but could be listening. Right. But if your birthday is today, if your birthday is on February 29th, Sure, on March 1st, you hear people say to you, happy birthday, but that would be a buzzkill because you're like, eh, it kind of is. So if your birthday is February the 29th, I want you, or somebody you know for that matter, either send me a tweet or send me a text at 523-9288, okay, 317 area code, 523-9288 is my cell phone number. I want to, on the radio today, wish a happy birthday to anybody who is celebrating a legitimate February 29th birthday because you just, you only get to, it's pretty special. Yeah. You only get to do it every four years, right? So if your birthday's today or you know somebody, and I'm not talking about if somebody's birthday is March 1st and so like kind of it's March, no. If you were born on February the 29th of obviously 2025, 2021, is it, or no, I'm sorry, 20, 16, 12, you know, every four years. If your birthday is is the 29th of February and you are celebrating a legitimate every four-year birthday today or you know somebody that is, I want to wish them a happy birthday on the air and I'm going to say, okay, John Doe, happy February 29th birthday. I'm going to say the name and the date for every person whose birthday it is. I, I don't even know how many people could be listening who were born on February 29th because it would have to be yeah. – you're, you're looking at pretty like pretty rare odds, right? Yeah. But last night, the ultimate birthday gift for Tyrese Halliburton, and we are at the Combine, by the way, NFL Combine. Jake Quarry along with Jimmy Cook, who you just heard from, Eddie Garrison back in studio for us. Big show lined up today. We'll talk a lot of NFL because the Combine is here at the Indiana Convention Center, and we're here as well. 
Matt Verderam, Ross Tucker, Courtney Cronin all going to join us on today's program. Tony East in 30 minutes to talk about the Pacers and what took place last night at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Chris Ballard spoke with the guys, KB and Andy, this morning. We'll replay some of that coming up in just a couple of minutes. But let's begin with what took place last night at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. We knew, Jimmy, going into it, that the New Orleans Pelicans were tired, <laughs> worn down. They didn't get in to Indianapolis until close to 5.30 in the morning probably got to their hotel at like six i'm assuming they laid around and slept all day till two or three they did look at the beginning of the game quite frankly pretty sluggish but um nonetheless i'll give them credit because indiana got up 18 19 points the pelicans kind of roared back got it within five and then indiana responded and tyrese halliburton and obi toppin put on a show last night matherin hit some big shots for them but Obi Toppin and his electric play last night was kind of the story of the game. Yeah, I mean, you had a couple highlight plays from Toppin, a nice dunk thrown off the backboard from Tyrese Halliburton in transition off a steal. The way that Toppin has increased his value as well as a three-point shooter has been a massive asset to this team. He goes two of four from beyond the arc last time, last night. 16 points for him, but Jake, a lot of it, and people that are against the Pacers might look at it and say, well, not against the Pacers, but critical of where they're at, might say, well, the Pelicans, look at all the adversity they had to overcome. The Pacers handled this game yet again on the defensive end. Like, yes, they put up 123, but they were able to get enough stops late, especially when it got to about five points, and you're looking at a scenario where the Pacers had outplayed the Pelicans in that first half, yet they never put the game away. New Orleans kept hanging around, and you wondered, were they going to be able to put together enough mini runs to actually close them out and give credit to the Pacers? They did. They took advantage of exactly what we mentioned last night, which is just because you've been, the Pacers, have been bad when they're on the second night of the back-to-back. If you have an opponent coming in with everything that New Orleans dealed with, you need to take care of business, need to chalk up the W, need to close strong on the homestand. They do that. Now they head on the road for a couple of games with – a nice New Orleans, 34 right? and 26 record, and it's a rematch with New Orleans out of the gate. So you go to New Orleans in a Texas two-step when you get uh, you get both Dallas and I believe San Antonio. I'm not sure the exact order of that. Combine's official, by the way. They just brought in St. Elmo's Shrimp Cocktail Sauce with all kinds of people following behind them. Do you think day we're day. having a, an eating challenge? Do you think it's just like a sampler? No, player? they're walking around handing out samples okay, because that's no the problem. thing, right? If you are here for uh, next, we're next to the Jaguars, folks. Again, I, I'm curious of this. The Vikings people already left. So did they just come for one day and then they left? I was asking, you know, we have on-site engineer Cam here, and I was asking Cameron, I was like, hey, like, where are the Titans? Where are the Vikings? And, like, there's a Steelers guy at the Titans table right now. So I don't know. I don't know if they, they're in different areas, if they've now taken their talents over to Lucas Oil Stadium, you, you know what but the, it's weird. Do you know why the Steelers guys at the Titans table? Uh, uh, nefarious actions. I don't know. Stealing stuff. Ah, there it is. Needless to say. Nice. He's got it right on his shirt, for crying out loud. <laughs> like, Janae Coakley yesterday was here for SNY covering the Jets, and, and she was here for a day, right? So I guess maybe scene sets for people and then and then they're out. Yeah, I wonder if it's just variable depending on the outlet, right? Like for if you're in a news network like where SNY is with Janae Coakley, maybe you're just getting like you mentioned your setup of the scene of what's going to be another strong last couple days of the combine, and then your business is done. But if you're still you know, a team-affiliated podcast, or if you're still scouting departments, there's still a ton to get to, especially what happens over at Lucas. But I will admit, it is more open and spacious with different teams at different spots than it was yesterday. Uh, Jerry Snyder, who was a member of the 1980 Broderpool Rockets state championship team. Happy birthday, February 29th to Jerry. 
Now, is it definitive that people are celebrating on the 1st? I've never looked up this, but do they have a choice? Do they get to decide if they want to celebrate on the 28th? They have a or choice. The first, or is it inherently the 1st? Because... I would think it's the 1st because it's the day after the Correct. 28th, right? right? Happy birthday, Kelsey Lawyer from Pendleton. She is 24 years old today on February 29th. It is your day, Kelsey. Congratulations on being a leapling. Uh, Jake, happy birthday to Josh, Ashley, and Courtney. They are triplets. That technically are 28 years old, but I will say happy 7th because it's the seventh time they've been able to celebrate on February the 29th. So happy birthday to them. Bobby Terry, February 29th, your day. Happy birthday to Bobby. If you are a leapling, happy birthday to you. You only get to celebrate it every four years. All right, here we go. We got the shrimp cocktail sauce. They're bringing it over. Now, they're going to be totally disappointed, Jimmy, when they realize we're actually from Indianapolis and we've done this before. Yeah, we know what we're getting into. You know? Oh, wow, you actually knew my name. Wait a minute. Somebody somebody schooled you on that, right? My husband's Hayden Clark. Thank okay, you. well, fair enough. Now, you know I have very sensitive sinuses. Well, let's see the reaction. We'll, we'll get a napkin ready for the tears. I don't even know if this is legal within our company here, but because we're live on the air. Jimmy, you going for it? Oh, yeah, I'm going, going in. I have very sensitive sinuses. Here we go. This is, by the way, this is terrible radio. You know we're live on the radio right now. Well, so, you can see. Uh, so they can we watch are eating you on the YouTube. shrimp cocktail sauce, like right here on the YouTube channel. I'm going to take my bite. Hang on. This is going to be brutal. Yeah, ma'am. Um, see, the tears come, but it's so good. It's just so delicious. I'm jealous. Like, the tears are worth the price of admission. You should eat one for me. <laughs> Go ahead. You want me to continue? No, I mean, it, it's, it, is, it is the staple of Indianapolis. It is. It, I mean, it, it hits you for a it, second, then it it's gone, It hits you for right? a little bit, and then it's there. Now, I was at a Pacer game recently, and they had the contest, right, where they bring out these people yeah. from the crowd? Do you see the guy that just I've never seen like this. The guy, the guy ate the entire order in one sitting. It was crazy. I've never seen it before, right? Like, but, but he did it in like five seconds. It was, crazy. Like it was, it was gone. So I want to know. I see a tear coming. I see a oh, there's more than just that. Are you kidding me? Yeah, there are several tiers here. Now, I'd like to know this from the folks at St. Elmo. And by the way, the hats are awesome. The St. Elmo Steakhouse hats. They're awesome. Um, real quick, I'm curious, which team has had the, the biggest problem with the shrimp cocktail sauce? You guys have been going around to the different tables, to the different franchises. Which which team has had the the biggest problem? Coffee it could be me. Fits, Maybe it's whatever. me. Second stop. So I oh, wow. At the top of the list. <laughs> first reaction. All right. Well, I'm the second stop. All right. Well, we appreciate Thank it. It guys. is now officially the combine because yep, we've had the we shrimp cocktail sauce. Thank you guys very much. All right. I, did, I actually I did okay there. Like, yep. for a second, I thought I was going to lose it. It's rough on me. Yeah, I got a little bit of tears. I've got very weak you, but, sinuses. But not, nothing fell out of the out of the eyelids, so I'll take that as a win. Uh, let's get to what happened earlier today. Chris Ballard was on with Kevin Bowen and Andy Sweeney, the wake-up call with KB and Andy, and fielded a lot of questions about a lot of different topics. Now, obviously, he talked yesterday kind of on a more broad sense of what was going on with the Colts and heading into this combine and what they're looking for. The big storyline clearly is – Michael Pittman Jr. And whether or not Michael Pittman Jr., it by all account, it appears the Colts are intent on the fact that he is going to be a member of the Indianapolis Colts next year. For those that are unfamiliar, and I can't imagine there are many, but if you are unfamiliar with it at this point, here is the situation with Michael Pittman Jr., the wide receiver for the Colts, and clearly what is designed to be the biggest weapon over the air for whether it be Gardner Minshew last year or Anthony Richardson coming off of injury. Pittman is a free agent, but 
the Colts have the ability to place the franchise tag on him. Cincinnati just did that with T. Higgins. So we know now what that price parameter is going to be. If they franchise tag Michael Pittman, then he's going to make somewhere just a little bit north of $21 million a year. Clearly, Michael Pittman Jr. would like to see a deal that gets him a higher amount than that on an annual basis, 22 to 25 range, one would think, is what he would be looking for. But the Colts do have that option to franchise tag him if they cannot come to an agreement. Earlier this morning, Kevin Bowen, Andy Sweeney, asked Chris Ballard, where do things stand right now? Are you close to a deal that would then avoid having to franchise tag Michael Pittman Jr.? Here is the general manager of the Colts. It's a tool we have. Hopefully we get something done. Never had to use it before, um, and hopefully we get something done before that moment. So if you don't get something done Tuesday, you would let it play didn't, out. Until- didn't I answer this question <laughs> yesterday? I mean, that's just loaded. It's like I can't give a right. I can't give the a tag deadline is is Tuesday. Yeah. Is, is it, it long term deal? Hopefully we get something done. Okay, that that essentially is him saying that yes, they they would anticipate that he is going to be signed and. I, and I appreciate by all Kevin. account that's it. of course like Kevin looking for the lock in. Like, kudos no to doubt. Kevin, no uh, doubt. Yeah, Kev, kudos to Kevin for sticking with it and trying to basically keep that keep it within the lane there, right? Yeah, because I mean, he, he said yesterday publicly he's Bowers right about that that they plan on bringing Michael Pittman back in September. He's going to be here in September, but the idea of Ballard's phrasing of hopefully we get something done by Tuesday. Well. If you don't have something done by Tuesday and you don't use the tag, now it's a bidding war and, and anybody look, can get in on it. I realize that it's a convenient I realize that it is a convenient way for Chris Ballard to avoid the answer, but the reality is that not everybody listening this morning was listening yesterday, right? right? I mean, and so yeah, you got to repeat yourself sometimes. Um, at this stage, I'd be very surprised if if they can't get the deal done that a tag is at least placed next week. Are you in the same boat? with that, that if they can't get the long-term deal done before the deadline Tuesday, they will tag him and continue to work on that long-term deal. Yes. They have until July to do I that. I think that's a very fair statement, yes. Now, one of the reasons, of course, that Michael Pittman Jr. is so important is because the reality is that Indianapolis does not have the kind of explosive playmakers in space. What have we talked about so much, Jimmy? The Colts need players in space. There are no, but there's nobody. I mean, Jonathan Taylor is one for sure. But in terms of guys, when a play is breaking down, that you dump it off to, and all of a sudden they turn an eight-yard play into a 28-yard play, whether that be a Travis Kelsey type player, whether it be a Tyreek Hill type player, guys that in space can create. You know, Jamar Chase can go out there and just Jalen Waddle, yep. Jalen Waddle. In space, they are dangerous, yep. right? Colts don't have it. Chris Ballard's thoughts on the lack of weapons of the Indianapolis Colts. Finding a guy that, you know, like Doolin's Doolin's value is that, one, he plays on, he's a core te- special teamer. Um, he does a lot of the dirty work, um, you know, at wideout, and he can do it from three different spots. And I always felt that he was one of the most undervalued players we kind of had just because of that that role. Uh, Zach Pascal filled it, you know, for a few years, and then Doolin kind of stepped into that role. So having a your number fours really has to be able to play multiple spots and give you snaps on teams. Um, you, and I'm telling you, that's a unique thing when you got a guy like Doolin that can do all of them. That's a that's got all pro Pro Bowl talent as a as a teamer. Then also fill in if he's got to play wide out and actually start a game or two. Um, you're still in good shape with him. Okay, so the situation for the Colts is this. Yes, 
by his own admission there, Chris Ballard and the Colts know that they need playmakers. But is it possible, Chris Ballard, is it possible that last year you might have had guys that could create in space, but that's facilitated by the guy that is actually taking snaps. Nothing against Gardner Minshew, but Anthony Richardson has that extend play capability. Chris Ballard's thoughts on more explosive players and how perhaps the quarterback plays into that. Well, unequivocally, I think the, the quarterback's going to help. I think it showed when he was when he was in the game. Um, you know, his. I mean, like, I thought one of the really cool, and it sucks that we didn't finish it out, but the but the Ram game. I thought, like in the second half, I you know you we play like crap in the first half, and and credit to the Rams. I mean, they kicked the, I mean, excuse me, they kicked the crap Mark, out dump, of us. Dump that, Mark. Yeah, please, thank yeah, you. Scratch that one out. They they kicked the crap out of us in the first half, but the explosives that he was able to create in the second half was really fun to watch. But when you have, like, that's the one thing about like Jonathan Taylor. Like Jonathan can turn a a one, two-yard run into a 40, 50-yard run. Having, you know, making sure we we add another element to the offense that's really good after the catch that can create the play that's not, not there. Lastly, in terms of talking about the state of the Colts, it goes without saying that there are still questions around, and questions is maybe the wrong word, but we don't have definitive answers on the health of Jim Mersey. He obviously sent a tweet that by all account is from him saying that he is on the mend and progressing forward. Yesterday, Jim, uh, Jim Mercer was discussed by Chris Ballard when he was asked about it, and he simply said that, um, you know, he is somebody that is still involved within the franchise. And this morning, once again, Chris Ballard giving an update on the health status of the owner of the Indianapolis Colts, who the Colts had said in late December was dealing with a respiratory illness. Here's Ballard on Ursay. I actually talked for 30 minutes last night, um, and he's good. It was, it's really good. No, he is, like Mr. Ursay is always going to be involved. Um, I mean, it's one of the things I really appreciate about him is that he's done this job before, so he understands the, the ups and downs of it. He understands the, you know, the negotiating part of it. Sure. Um, and, of course, I lean on him. And so we had a, a great talk last night. I kept him abreast. We'll talk again here when the combine's over and kind of tell him, okay, here's where I think we're at and here's where we're going. Um, but all good. The one thing that I would like to know, and, and, and listen, it, I don't want to be a doubtful person. I don't. I want to believe everybody for their word up front, but I think that they're. I think it's worth kind of asking, you know, or, or or being curious. I guess it's worth being curious about more information. For example, and that's very good news. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's very good news. But to what depth and to what level? Because I think the question that a lot of people have now about Jim Irsay, and we won't know this for a while, is what is his involvement going to be? Um, just you know, moving forward, like in terms of his health, because there have been reports all across the board in that area. And Chris Ballard's correct in the fact that Jim Irsay, you know, has been a general manager before. But I guess the question that I would have, Jimmy, is when he says we talked yesterday and we'll talk again at the end of the combine, is that standard fair? I, maybe that is. I don't know. I mean, my assumption would be that in past years, Jim Mersey and the general manager of the Indianapolis Colts would be talking multiple times per day, if not together, during the entire combine. So for him to say, I'll talk to him at the end of the combine, 
I guess my question would be, and, and I, I get it, I am totally opening myself up for people to say that I am taking a positive and looking at it cynically. I, I promise you that's not what I'm trying to do, but I'm naturally curious as to the barometer by which that's measured. Is that standard fair in terms of their level of communication during the combine, or is that tempered because of the fact that he is still in a serious health situation? I don't know the answer to that, but the good news is that they had a conversation last yeah, night. Yeah, I mean, the positive updates are great. I just feel like, and I don't know how to properly frame it, Drake, how to properly frame it, Jake, because it's, it is a delicate issue but like i think we're well past due for a jim or say twitter video or like a an availability of just him especially with the combine being here like he is just like we talked about tyrese halliburton being an ambassador for all-star weekend he is an ambassador of indianapolis as the head owner of the colts he certainly has been by precedent correct yes. so it's just it's odd i guess i mean a positive updates are great no one's gonna sit here and say oh no that's not good that we're hearing that he's doing well but i just we're we're we are reaching a point, and the annual league meetings will be at the end of March. Like we're reaching a point where likely past public appearances from Jim Irsay will arrive like they do annually on the calendar, and, and will, we, will we see him then? That's really what it boils down to. Uh, back to some of Ballard's comments about the wideout room. And, Jake, you brought this up yesterday. My issue with the Colts is for the de facto rookie season of Anthony Richardson, I would like as many high-end to elite offensive weapons around him as possible. And I get it. Some of that is like, oh, well, of course, who wouldn't want? Yeah, but where where are the high-end weapons? Where are they on this roster offensively? Not the O-line. I'm talking about playmaking players. Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman Jr. is a great wide receiver. Whether you want to say he's a low-end wide receiver one or a high-end wide receiver two, he is a valuable contributor and would be valued across the league if he was to hit the open market. Outside of that, where are the weapons? You have a tight end room of a who's who of who's going to actually seize a starting role. Josh Downs was fine last year, and I'm excited to see year two of him. Pierce, I don't think, is ever going to be the player they drafted him to be. By that, I mean they took him as a second rounder, but I don't think he's ever going to live up to that hype. I think it could be a nice fourth or fifth option. Where are the elite playmakers on offense to ease the burden for Anthony Richardson this season. And I know free agency hasn't opened yet and the draft hasn't started, and perhaps they are going to address it. But when you hear like that Ashton Doolin is one of the main reasons that like there were struggles last year, and I know a lot of that he's talking about with special teams, but Ashton Doolin's not changing how things went offensively right. with his team. That's a year fair. Ago. That's fair. He's Ashton Ashton Doolin actually at the receiver spot, Ashton Doolin is essentially Alec Pierce, right? Yeah. He's a get-behind-the-defense, yeah. home-run ball guy. Now, let me tell you what the Colts could do that would stun people in this draft. And at the time that it happens, I do think actually people probably would be excited by it. Was this trade-up to get Marvin Harrison Jr.? No. no. Okay, sorry. We should probably just tell people right now. Yeah. like <laughs> The Marvin Harrison Jr. thing to me, Jimmy, and I know you're being flippant, but I it's am. funny because – it's kind of like this. What was the year in the NBA draft of the LeBron James decision? It was 2010. 10, right? Yep. Around 2007, every team in the league 
started outsmarting the rest of the league by freeing up cap space because they were going to create a bunch of money to make a run in 2010 for LeBron James. The Knicks are scheming. The Bulls are scheming. Right. It's Miami like, scheming. Dude, don't, don't tell anybody this, but I've got a friend that's an insider with the Clippers, and they're shedding contracts. They're actually releasing Jamal Crawford and a couple other guys because they're freeing up money because in 2010, they're going to push all in on LeBron James. And then before you know it, everybody was doing that, right? It's kind of the same thing with Marvin Harrison Jr. Everybody's like, you know, this, they, they're going to talk to the Bears. Come on. The Colts are not in the running to do that. It, it, at least, I, I shouldn't say that definitively. I shouldn't say ton. it definitively. It would stun me if that were the case. Now, I recall very vividly the Colts already had Marvin Harrison. People forget that the Colts had Marvin Harrison in the stable when Peyton Manning arrived. Torrance Small was his favorite receiver in his rookie year for Peyton Manning because Marvin Harrison had a separated shoulder and missed eight games. They then drafted Edron James. And they started putting together weapons, and there were two picks that at the time that they drafted them, people were like, what are they doing? They need defense. Why are they drafting this receiver out of Miami late in the first round? Are you kidding me? And, he's not, and like, he didn't even run a great 40. And guess what? Once Reggie Wayne, and it took a while. Reggie Wayne, it took year two before he really got going. Once he did, people were like, you forgot the, the drama of when and where he was drafted and, and the reception of his draft. Same is true for Dallas Clark. When they drafted Dallas Clark, it was like the guy that ran an 80-yard score against Purdue, they, what are they doing? They need linebackers. They need corners. They need safeties. Like Bob Sanders is a good player, but he's hurt all the time. You know, whatever. Actually, I think Sanders might have been after Clark, but you get my point. Right. It, this is a very deep wide receiver draft, which means that the front of the right wide receiver room is uber-talented. Could Indianapolis actually cash in on that and create some seismic waves by going receiver and bypassing safety and bypassing tight end and bypassing line depth and bypassing pass rush? Sounded like Chris Ballard felt content right now with the young core that he has on a defensive line. So does that free them up to go elsewhere? It's something to consider because it is a rich draft for that. Last night, riches for the Pacers. Tyrese Halliburton's birthday is today. It's February 29th, so it's only every four years he gets to celebrate it. Not unlike Kyle Bowman. Kyle, it's your day, February 29th. Pike High School, the pride of it. Happy birthday to you. Tony East going to join us next to talk about what happened last night at Gamebridge Fieldhouse as the Pacers now set their way down to the Big Easy as we roll along here on a Thursday. It's Quarry Company 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. We're extending birthday greetings to all Leaplings, including Tyrese Halliburton, who was born on February 29th. So if you were born February 29th and every three years you've got to pretend March 1st is your birthday, then send me a text. If you know somebody who was born on February 29th or you are somebody born on February 29th, send me a text, 317-523-9288, and I will 
wish you we will wish you a happy birthday right here on the air because it's your day and you deserve to celebrate it because you only get to do so every four years tony east joins us now on the guest line as we are live at the indiana convention center for the nfl combine tony east last night gamebridge fieldhouse pacers pelicans and tony reality is uh, really a good win for them because you know we obviously I, I think we almost lose sight of the fact that here's a team in New Orleans that's a five seed. I know they had all kinds of trouble in terms of getting into Indianapolis and getting here essentially in the wee hours of the morning. And they were a little lethargic. I give New Orleans credit for dwindling down a lead and making it a game in the late fourth. But Indiana made the plays when they had to. Pretty quality game last night for the Pacers. Yeah, they, you know, context kind of be damned for them, right? They need every win they can get against good teams. Right now, given what their schedule is the rest of the way, given how easy Orlando's schedule is the rest of the way, like, they just need wins. They need to keep up in that five through eight race. And so, even if it takes, you know, guys being out, but they had some help. Like, C.J. McCollum didn't play in New York, right? So, he was at least energy-wise more fresh than a typical weird back-to-back like that. And Falcons are good. They're top six, I think, entering the night in defense. They obviously have one of the most unique talents in the league. And Zion Williamson, and of course, the Pacers were slowly bleeding that lead for the whole game, but their start was so good, they were able to win. They really needed it, and they're in a three-way tie kind of for fifth now. It's a very strange-looking standings for the Pacers right now in the East. Tony, let's talk about Benedict Matherin for starters. When he, you know, obviously with Aaron Neesmith out, Benedict Matherin was a starter last night. And I feel like he is still a player that is kind of learning when it's go time and when it's sit back and let others create time offensively. And that's kind of the missing link right now to the totality of his game. Is that too critical a statement about him? No, I think that's totally fair. And to his credit last night, like the one time he took over offensively that late third quarter stretch, they needed him to do that. And he did. And it kind of saved them, right? They were teetering on the line of like up six, up seven and, he got him up 16 with that stretch, but there was too many. You know, he took 17 shots last night, right? Like, there's a lot of times where he is going forward in situations where he maybe doesn't need to. And it's interesting because we've seen since, you know, the, the All-Star break some progress, right? Five assists in all three of the first three games coming out of the break for Matherin, 14, 14, 15 shots in those games. So, you know, he, Siakam and Halliburton clearly ahead of him in the pecking order, but he's starting, and he kind of picked – the right spots better in those games he was terrific in that toronto loss you know that was one of his best games maybe ever but then let you have a game like last night where he takes 17 he only has two assists you know he he was shooting well from deep but not finishing well at the rim so this pull-up is becoming a pretty cool weapon for him like it's kind of changed the way he's defended even though defenses can kind of telegraph it but you know there is still times and you saw it last night where he becomes that guy that is a little too your turn, my turny, and not enough within the team concept, even though I think he was better at that coming out of the break, but that is still the, the clearest growth point for him going forward. Pacers beat writer for Sports Illustrated, Tony East, is our guest. You can also find him on Locked On Pacers podcast. Just search it wherever you get your podcast. Tony, last night it's a three-point game with 3.15 to play. I remember you had remarked that it felt like the Pacers had kind of played around with this lead all night and – it didn't feel like a game they were going to put away. They wind up closing with 3.15 to play on an 11-5 to run. Get a couple nice Tyrese Halliburton step backs. You get a Pascal Siakam layup and a dunk in there as well. Looking back at that three-minute stretch, 
Is that more a chalk it up to the defense locking down like we hope they're able to do late in games, or is that more to offensive execution for how they're able to put away the Pelicans late in that one? Yeah, you were right behind me. I mean, I said, I said, I think to you, Jimmy, when they were up like a dozen in the fourth quarter, that you know, it felt like the Pelicans still had a pretty good chance in this game. They just kept coming back and coming back all night, and the Pacers didn't have. They were really wobbly until that two minute stretch late where they were excellent. And I think it's a little bit of both of the things you just said. You know, Halliburton really took over. I think that was what made that so significant. Miles Turner also came in with three twenty four to go, though. I think that's kind of a and a key part to look at when you look at this close of the game because throughout a lot of the night, you know, you'd look down at the scores table. Zion Williamson comes to check in for the Pelicans, and here comes Miles Turner for the Pacers, right? He wasn't guarding him all the time, but there was clearly some sort of effort there with, you know, Jalen Smith going up against Larry Nance a lot and then Turner against Zion or whoever was out there for the Pelicans. And so that was key too, right? You saw in that stretch, T.J. McCollum missed, Zion missed at the rim, McCollum missed at the rim. Miles Turner played really good defense for that two-minute stretch, and he had a really nice night in one of the hardest matchups in the league. Like Rick Carlisle talked a lot. Some of it he was asked about, and some of it he just offered up, about how unique of a matchup Zion Williamson is. And like It's one of the toughest game plans to make in the league. He even hit a corner three that was just bananas. Like He's just a great player. So Turner was huge in that stretch, but I, you know, the big takeaway, I think, long-term for the Pacers would be to have that two-minute stretch be completely dominated by the two stars. I mean, Halliburton hit the step back three to put him up six. And then three straight dimes to Siakam right at the basket. I mean, the farthest shot of that stretch for Siakam was three feet away from the rim. I mean, that is massive for the Patriots, right? That's what they want to be their closing strategy. Halliburton has the ball. He dictates everything. He sets it all up. And then Siakam can score. Halliburton can score, whatever. Like, that's what you want. You want your stars to be awesome. And, that was probably their most dominant stretch, especially in clutch time of the season. They really had a good connection going kind of all night, four assists from Halbert to Siakam throughout the game. So I think you can kind of point to both ends as positives for the Pacers, but in terms of long-term, what the Pacers will look back at and go, maybe this is a turning point for us going forward, that Halbert and Siakam connection in that two-minute stretch was just, just perfect for them. Tony East is our guest talking about the Pacers. We are live at the Indiana Convention Center for the NFL Combine, querying company here on The Fan. Tony, you tell me which thought, I guess, should be more prevalent. Which one is more of a reality? A frustration, for lack of a better phrase, over the offense kind of slowing down into a half-court set, oftentimes when Siakam is on the floor just in that kind of – you know, mesh and mold with a new roster, or so should the emotion of that be more prevalent, or the optimism that they now have a guy for the postseason when play does slow down and goes more half court that can get his own shot and do so without orchestration or in the flow of an offense when a shot clock's running down and you need a bucket and they have the guy that can do it. Yeah, let me be the boring radio guy and be the fence sitter and say it's probably somewhere right in the middle, right? Like, of course, Tyrese Halliburton said this last year at the draft lottery, fittingly. Uh, you know, he was talking about the playoffs. Uh, he was watching and studying every game and what the Pacers did and how they came be better. And he said, you know, we're really good in transition. We're so fast, and that's great. That's a huge part of our identity. But in the playoffs, these games slow down. We're going to have to be good in those settings to be to be successful and to win games. And that's where Siakam can really help them, right? You saw that last night a bunch where, you know, he, they would have a tough possession and they could just toss it to him. And even with, like, 
really sizable defenders on him. Brandon Ingram, Herb Jones, whoever. He can just find a comfortable shot, turn and shoot. That's great. But when Halburn's not in the game, you know, he's kind of more in charge or has more on-ball responsibility. In the regular season specifically, when you can't change your game plan as much from game to game, it's just almost too unreasonable given how many games you have and how quickly they come at you. It's, it's really hard to kind of fully adjust like that all the time. So it is just a little more, I don't know what the perfect word is, but just a breakup of their style. And he's really good at it. You know, he had 24 points and five assists last night. Like, Siakam's a terrific player. But I think it is an adjustment at times. You know, you've seen the Siakam on Halberton off minutes since the trade be fine, but not what you'd expect or hope for if you're the Pacers. But I do think in the playoffs that, will be better and they can game plan a little better for those situations and be more, more prepared. So I also think part of it's taking your lumps and you're okay with that if you're the Pacers, especially if it means playoff success, and they'll be happy with that if that is the case. But right now, I, I don't know if it's concerning necessarily. It's not like those minutes are going horribly, but certainly something to look at and try to figure out what is the best lineup you can use around Pascal and Halliburton's not out there, all that kind of stuff. Pacers beat rider for Sports Illustrated, Tony East. Nice enough to take some time with us as he does each and every Thursday. Tony, it's a three-game road trip upcoming for the Pacers. A, another face-off against New Orleans tomorrow, then Sunday at San Antonio, and Tuesday at Dallas. What's the likelihood that we see Aaron Neesmith return to the fold over this road trip? And then whether it's this road trip or beyond, which player or players will have the most adjustment in terms of maybe how they're playing or the minutes they're getting right now and the way they're contributing once he returns? Yeah, you know, it's, he was questionable to play Wednesday night. It sounded like he did a little bit more on practice on uh, before their back-to-back over the weekend on Saturday. So I'd imagine he's not too far off of, of a return. You know, he's not like impeded moving or anything like that. It's just a, a pain thing. And you know, he's been wearing stuff on his shins all season. I know it's an ankle injury, but they're, you know, the close proximity kind of deal. He dealt with the shin stuff in January. So, you know, th- they need him, right? He's a terrific player. Uh, they've got a really, uh, like, this is among their most important stretches of the season to me, given now what the standings are their next six games. Orlando obviously is in that stretch, but, you know, a road, a road heavy march coming, some tough opponents. Like, if they can get him back and do well, that would be huge. They need as much reinforcements as they can possibly get. As for what it means for the rotation, you know, Matherin would go back to the bench, and then you have to think what that could look like. Like Maybe fortunately, maybe unfortunately, however you want to look at it, McDermott is injured right now himself with a calf strain, so their 10 just kind of is sorted out anyway. You just play 10 guys, and you know, Ben Shepard's your 10th guy. He's your reserve wing, and your bench can be exactly the same as it was otherwise You know, against New Orleans on Wednesday, and you know, I thought it'd be a topic of discussion, you know, who would play between Shepard and McDermott when healthy. Well, so far, they still haven't needed to, to kind of sort that out. And Ben Shepard's been phenomenal of late, so I think he'll continue to play. But, you know, as it stands, I think you'll just see Neesmith plays and starts and Matherin goes to the bench and they sort out some wing minutes between, you know, Matherin and Shepard as the reserves. And Matherin will certainly get more, but I think that's kind of how it'll break out. Yeah, Shepard to me, Tony, looks like a guy that – I was just telling Denary this. I was talking to him earlier today, and you tell me if you agree with this. In the last week, probably, you can almost like visibly see the game slowing down for Ben Shepard. Like he just, especially when the ball rotates to him on the wing, he just looks more comfortable in just taking a slight second to get his shot off as opposed to rushing it because he feels like the game was being played faster than it was. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, that always is kind of how it goes for guys as they 
once they figure out where their shots are going to come, they know they can take their time and really knock them down. And I think for me, the, the key thing with Ben Shepard, like he's a confident guy in general. You know, I, I, if you've met him, like I've never seen that dude not smiling in my life. But the the way that he kind of plays, you know, as a rookie, I get this natural hesitancy. Like he would he he would catch in the corner. And then look at the rim and then kind of like process it. And maybe some of that is the game being too fast for him. But I think some of that was just like he's a rookie wanting to make the right play. So he'd think about moving the ball or putting it on the floor or something like that. And he talked about this and Rick Carlisle talked about this. A couple of players have talked about this. They've encouraged him, including recently, but all season to be like, yo, shoot it. Like we trust you to shoot those shots. If you're open from three, let it fly. Like you're a good shooter. We drafted you because we think you're a good shooter. And the defense has obviously been incredible this whole season and has been a big part of him getting on the floor. But it, I think that confidence boost where they're saying, yo, we trust you. You're on the floor. Like, this is a Rick Carlisle thing. If he thinks – if he puts you on the floor, he trusts you to shoot it, right? So he's taking more threes. In this last five-game stretch, that really good game in Toronto up through last night, he's taking four threes a game. And obviously he's drilling them. He had that five-for-five five game against Dallas. But I think getting that volume up and being willing to take them is just as much of a – a sign of his progress and kind of understanding his final team of anything. You know, he's only taking, he's taking under two per game prior to that stretch. So I think the game is slowing down. I think he's more confident. I think the team really trusts him to defend and make shots. And that kind of player is really valuable. He's been awesome for them in this stretch. Tony, the NFL combine is here. We're at the Indiana convention center for it. It's become an annual event on the sports calendar in Indianapolis from a commerce standpoint. The NBA just hosted the all-star game in Indianapolis. I have heard, I have read that the league itself, the NBA, the association, was very happy with Indianapolis's ability to put on said event and that it could parlay into a steadier rotation of Indianapolis being a showcase city for the NBA to put on events. Fact or fiction? I would believe that for sure. I think that it helps uh, for the league's perspective that they have a WNBA market here as well, right? It just kind of makes everything easier. Like the next two all-stars are... To have a really are, good player possibly, right? <laughs> two really good players, yeah. I right. Mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a sensational kind of thing for both leagues to be able to do that. And their next all-star break is uh, in, in Golden State Bay Area. And then after that, it's L.A. Two more now W markets. And, you know, we'll see if that kind of trend continues. But it's just, you know, as you can see from the Steph Sabrina thing, the leagues are crossing over. They're working together more on this kind of stuff. Like as these become more a celebration of basketball in general and, and more about the leagues, plural. I think that's really huge. And, you know, they, they had those kind of changing rules about uh, cities hosting leagues. I think Indy doesn't have all the international flight requirements that I saw on that list uh, from the Oklahoman who reported that. But they have the space. They have the structure to do it easily. Like, you could walk absolutely everywhere, mostly depending on where, where you were staying. Right, You guys are at the convention center right now. Like, you're in the heart of exactly what all of that looks like you know, for hosting and sports. So, yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Like, out again, you know, Jake, you tweeted the same thing I did. Like, it was comedy how it was so nice weather-wise. It snows for three days and everybody complains about that. And then as soon as everybody leaves, it's warm and sunny. Outside of the weather, I think, right. every, I think everything went great from a hosting perspective, from the venues, from the hotels, everything like that. So, you know, everybody's going to want warm weather cities, sure. But, yeah, I think that the, the layout of everything – is really good for what the league wants to accomplish, and that would make me believe fact of what you just said. Even though the the airport part of it that I that I read about uh, maybe would would push back on that a little bit. 
Tony East joining us on the program. Pacers on their way. Matter of fact, leaving in about two hours from now to head down to Narlins for a rematch with the Pelicans and then a Texas two-step. Tony, of course, will have all of that covered in the various outlets in which you can read and listen to his work. Tony, appreciate it as always. Yep, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, Tony East joining us on the program. By the way, uh, while we are rolling along here on this leap day, continued happy birthdays. For example, uh, Curtis Wellborn, happy birthday to you. Jake, my name's Curtis Wellborn. I was born February 29th, 1988. It is February 29th, Curtis. It is your day. You are nine years old today, brother. For the ninth time, you get to celebrate on February 29th. Somebody else said that they, he said, as Curtis, says, I don't know about others, but I celebrate on February 28th if it is not a leap year. Also, I hope I say this correctly, Cirilia Orioso, Oroloso, happy birthday to you. It's February 29th. It's your day. Happy birthday. Happy leap year to you, Cirilia. All right, we will take a break. We'll come back. We'll continue talking about the NFL Combine. Chris Ballard spoke earlier today. What's it mean? What's the league looking for from this particular Combine? We'll get into all of it as we roll along here live from the Indiana Convention Center. It's Quarian Company, 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You know, it's an absolutely gorgeous day outside. We'd like for the temperature to be a little higher. Guess what? That's exactly what it's going to look like. I can already see the crystal ball on th- uh, Thursday, June 20th. A wonderful evening at White River State Park at the Everwise Amphitheater with that band, Los Lobos, that you just heard, along with Little Feet. And we have tickets to give away. We'll be doing it all week, as a matter of fact. Eddie Garrison, who is back right now inside our DriveHubler.com studio, said, Hey, Jake, I got these tickets sitting here. They're burning a hole in my pocket. I said, No problem. Let's just go ahead and give them away. So, Jimmy Cook, in what fashion? Today's Leap Day. That happens every four years, right? So I guess it would only be fitting that we go caller number four, correct? No arguments here, Jake. All right, caller number four at 239-1070. You are on your way to go enjoy, and there's nothing better, right? A summer night, you're sitting right there. You're, it's a fabulous facility right in downtown, right at White River State Park. You're listening to Little Feet Los Lobos. More songs than you realize that you know. You're humming along, and you're having a cold one, or you're simply enjoying a wonderful evening. That's what you're going to do on the 20th if you are caller number four. Matt Verderam is with SI. He is not caller number four, but he is our guest. Next. Now, I'm going to give everybody kind of a glimpse, a scene set of the NFL Combine. We're in this room. Exhibit Hall J, it would appear, in the Hoosier Quarter of the Indiana Convention Center. Jake Quarry along with Jimmy Cook. Cameron here, engineering. We've got Eddie Garrison back in studio. And there are other teams all around us with their tables set up. Um, You know, the Steelers are just across the way from us. We're next to the Jaguars. We're in front of the Patriots. The Titans and Vikings decided to leave. And then on the other side of a huge, um, I don't know what you'd call it, like tarp wall, whatever, is where all of the booths are where players go to do their mass interviews and there are large stages set up for different media outlets nationally speaking about the NFL Combine. Now 
all of that is exciting stuff for people that cover the National Football League, like our next guest, Matt Verderam from Sports Illustrated. And I have never seen – I've covered, I don't know, 25 NFL combines. I saw people get excited in the debate between Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf. I saw people excited about C.J. Stroud last year blowing everybody away, saying that he's a ball placement specialist. I've seen all of it, right? I've never seen anybody more excited to talk about a subject than Matt was when he immediately said, I've got to tell you about what I witnessed in Indianapolis that is the most incredible thing. And this is a guy that lives in Chicago, right? Yep. Yeah, <laughs> you, I, Honestly, like you, when I was in the eighth grade, Matt, I went with a group of friends on a school trip to Washington, D.C., and it just so happened that my, myself and my other eighth grade buddies were staying in a hotel and in the gift shop. It was the episode of Playboy that had Vanna White, and we managed to get somebody to buy us a copy of that Playboy with Vanna White in it as 14-year-olds, that person and we were own. less excited. <laughs> totally, right? And we were less excited than you are about this subject matter. So. Well, I don't know what that says about me, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> but it's accurate, right? Yes, yeah. No, I, you know, when I, whenever I come to India, it's my favorite trip of the year. I love coming here. I love going to Prime. I love going to Elmo's, all that stuff. But uh, Monday night was the first time I was here, and, and I met up with a few friends who also covered the league, and it was like 3 o'clock in the morning. We had done all we could sourcing-wise. We're like, you know what? Too bad there's nothing open because used to, used to be steak and shake. It used to be you'd go to steak and shake right. and you'd go down there and that was where the NFL was, right? But now that you can't do that, so we see a Taco Bell that's open. Oh, man, that that's clutch. That's great. And we go down there and there's a full bar in there. There's Hennessy. There's Don <laughs> Julio. There's there's Patron. There's 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 beer on tap. And one of my buddies who was feeling pretty good at that point had two beers on tap another one of them ordered 17 dollars worth of tacos knocked it all down right i mean we were we were there was a nightclub in the back like there's a raised up area that's kind of like a perch and you can go back there and there's even a sign that says like party moss i mean it's it's unbelievable so i decided on making that a feature I'm writing that for yes. Sports Illustrated. So, so Sports <laughs> Illustrated sends you to Indianapolis to cover the NFL Combine and the possibility that the Chicago Bears of the city that you live Correct. with the number one pick may trade out of it. They may keep it. They may – nobody knows. And the big story is the fact that you can actually get yourself a Chalupa and a Modelo all in one sitting at 3.15 w- in the morning. Would you like a Mountain Dew Baja Blast with Don Julio? Because it can happen. <laughs> and, so I, I called my editor. I'm like, listen – I know you're not going to be probably overly thrilled at this, but this is my idea. And there was just a pause. It's like, do it. So I'm like, all right. I mean, look, he hired me. This is his mistake. Okay. So, so you've been back to that now how many nights? Every night I've been here. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's part of the story. How many, how many mornings? <laughs> oh, enough. The funny thing is, I, like, everything, obviously, we're here, you know, for the company. Like, we're expensing it. And I thought to myself, Mike, I don't have the guts to expense this. I cannot expense Taco Bell at 3.30 in the morning. I, why is Verderam expensing $118 of tacos? <laughs> I called my wife. I'm like, listen, we're going to have to eat a little bit of money here. But it's for the story. And so next I got to call Taco Bell and find out, like, how many of these places are there? Like, how many Taco Bells are there? that are also a place you can party at. Well, this was like a controversy when it, it, yeah. it just opened. Yeah. And there was a there was a big controversy over, you know, I don't know if like it was a, a Taco Bell. It's in the Circle Center Mall. I double checked it. So there's a Taco Bell That's in the mall. And they defined that because of its location, the city or whichever government was involved in it called it a captive Taco Bell. And so it had no bearing well, on Well, the one the, in the mall has got no chance now, right, Matt? Yeah. No, why would you go there? 
Why would you go there when you're under 21? You can get there. Well, yeah, sure, right. Where you can get tacos, and then you can also pregame or postgame. Like, it, it was unbelievable. Did they have a full Taco Bell menu? Yeah. Yeah, there's absolutely. a couple of them around there's the country. There's four touchscreens that you can just boom, 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 boom. I mean, this look, this is like when I was in high. I'm 35 now, so when I was in high school, and Applebee's would close at 10 o'clock at night, and they'd close for an hour, and they'd reopen as Club Applebee's. <laughs> and I'm telling you, this you, was in what town? This was in a lot of towns. There was like a couple hundred. There was okay. actually like a Business Insider article about it from way back when. This is not the first time I've talked about this on the radio, believe it or not. And my buddy and I used to sit in the parking lot. We were like 17. And we would just make fun of the people walking in. I mean, it was guys in like affliction t-shirts that were like two sizes too small. Yeah, yeah. The, stitch, the big chunky jeans and all that. A thousand yeah, yeah. percent. Yeah. And you're like, what is, the, what is the rate of divorce of people who meet at Club Applebee's? Is it 100%? Is it somehow higher? Right. Like, what? And it was incredible. And this went on. I don't know if they still do it, but this went on for like a while. So I'm glad to see that Taco Bell said, listen, we're doing great. But you know what would make us do even better? If you More dump Don Julio into a soda. <laughs> That's what will get the job done. And apparently it's working because here I am. The one in Vegas you can get married at, which is not surprising. Really? It's on brand for Las Vegas. But I, did, I was just in Vegas, Matt, and I didn't know about the Taco Bell Cantina. This, but, is, this is a mistake. So, I mean, I went for the sphere, but I missed the, the true Vegas experience, <laughs> right. right? I mean, they had a chapel in our, in our casino, okay. right? Obviously, well, yeah. goes without saying. Yeah. But I missed out on the true experience. I am I am blown away by this entire thing. <laughs> and like, you should see the working log. Like, I you have don't give right a damn now. about the combine at this point, do you? I don't care. No, <laughs> I, um, I I've abandoned my responsibilities, and now it's just all about this. And this is going to be one of these things. Either like six people read it, and and my editor's like, "Why did we send you to do this?" Or it blows up, and there, and now I'm Taco Bell guy. Do you have a go to order? Now, now this is like what? Do you have a go to order? You know, it depends, it depends how much um, time I've spent at other establishments throughout the uh, day. It could be a couple soft tacos. It, it could be a cheese gordita crunch. All right. Depends where we're at. Last night, it was a crunch wrap supreme. It was a long night. <laughs> now, um, was it the long night? <laughs> did the long night also begin there? That's the question, no, right? No, it, <laughs> right? It's, I'm, I'm staying in the circle. So it's like on my way back, and I just pass it. And I'm like, well, here we go again. You know, but now I can say, like, well, I'm working. This is work. So I went in there last night. There was like a dozen people in there just ordering, hanging out. I was like... So are there people... Like, is it like... In the background? No, it's not. Like, they have like TVs up there. But there, I went up there because I was curious. I'm like, is anyone alive up here? And there was a guy just like slumped over sitting there. And I don't know if that's because he lived Moss too much. <laughs> Or if he just was like, I'm going to go inside and like just hang out and like kind of recalibrate myself for 20 minutes. But like the other night I walked well, in. It might be home. It, well, and, and yeah, and that's unfortunate. <laughs> like that, that is the other option that would be unfortunate, but possible. But, you know, it's funny. Like the first two nights I went in there, it wasn't any. It was just people. Like there was a. Have you seen any like, NFL personnel there? Like, I, I, yes. I, I would yes. Love to see Andy Reid. I won't say who it was, but yes. Like a prominent coach was there one night. <laughs> and I'm not going to put that in the story because I feel like he wouldn't be thrilled about that. But like, yes. And it actually turned into, like, a sourcing thing. I was like, like, this is crazy. I swear to God, his word gets out. Like, there's a 1,000% chance there's going to be coaches there just think, living the dream. You, do you think it's possible that a huge trade, like, for example, the Bears. Yeah. The Bears have the number <laughs> right, one pick yeah. in the draft, right? Do you think it's possible that the Bears end up trading Justin Fields after too much Don Julio at 3.15 in the morning over oh, a Chalupa? I think there's a real chance. I think, there's a, <laughs> I think, blast I think that the trade is like, listen, we're going to, you know, we're the Falcons. We're going to give you, the, we're going to swap the eight and nine picks, and we're going to give you a second. You're going to give us Justin Fields. But only if you also buy his two bean burrito. <laughs> like it's just uh, that would be if I could ever get that scoop. I'd Can you believe, how bad is this? I, I'm 
we live in Indianapolis. Yeah. It's only been open for how long, Jimmy? Like uh, like a month, maybe, right? Yeah, if that. I've not been yet. Oh, you've got to, you've got to go. You've got to go. I mean, just look. Just swallow your pride and just do it. <laughs> All right. It's amazing. The people in my hotel room must be like, "What? What is happening? <laughs> like, there, there's Taco Bell like bags in the corner. They don't fit in the garbage can anymore." Because I'm like, "I'll get it to go." This guy just left at four o'clock in the morning again. <laughs> yeah. What's going on? They, they have to have so many questions uh, at this point. It's the second biggest storyline of the combine behind what? I think it's got to be right now, like the, the order of the quarterbacks, right? Because you've got Caleb Williams, right? Everybody feels like deep down is going to go number one. And then after that, you have this argument now between Drake May and Jaden Daniels. Like, which guy is second? Which guy is third? Then there's this weird, like, I feel like J.J. McCarthy's almost on his own tier. I think most people you talk to in the league think he's ahead of Knicks and, and Penix, who have a wide range of opinions. You could talk to people who think they're going to be top 15 picks. You could talk to people who think they're day two picks. Like, it's a weird. So I, I think I think Williams is the one like he's good. I would be shocked if he doesn't go to Chicago. I would be shocked if that doesn't happen. But then after that, like Washington's going to take a quarterback. But who is it? Is it May? Is it Daniels? Is it even like does McCarthy work his way in there? I don't think so. But then there's yeah, there's just these weird there's these weird tiers afterwards. I don't know that anybody's really figured it out yet beyond Caleb Williams at one. Matt Verderam of SI, national NFL writer for them, is our guest. Matt, the Colts think internally they have the franchise quarterback. Colts fans certainly hope they have the franchise quarterback in Anthony Richardson. If you were a front office member with what is available in this quarterback class, because the talk is maybe the Colts have jumped the line because they think they have the QB, would you rather think you have that quarterback, thinking back to Anthony Richardson's film, or would you rather be a player for a quarterback in this year's class? Unless I could get Caleb Williams, I'd rather have Anthony Richardson. I just think I think the upside of Richardson is astronomical. Now look, like you never know what happens. I mean, he could be a guy who, for whatever the reason, doesn't pan out. But like his traits, his tools are ridiculous. And before he got hurt last year, I know they lost. I go back to that Rams game. The game was ridiculous. Like there are not too many kids in what was that his fourth start, third, fourth start who, who play like that against a team that ended up being a damn good football team that went to the playoffs, that took Detroit to the limit. I think for the Colts, like the order of business right now has got to be, look, get Pittman done. Either tag him or sign him long-term, whatever you get, eventually get him signed long-term, and then start building around this young nucleus. You know, the interesting thing, Matt, I, I was mentioning this earlier, there's two ways to look at this. This is a, a deep wide receiver draft. It is. So, so does that mean for the Colts that they think, you know what, there are so many great receivers in this draft, and if we have the ability at 15, or, or, or 15 where they're picking, if we have the ability at 15 to get an upper end of those guys, man, we could get a real playmaking open space guy. Or does it mean that they actually can say, we got to use that 15 on a different need because we can get high quality in two or three yeah. at the receiver? Like if I were the Colts, I'd, t- I'd get it done with Pittman and then add to the defensive backfield. Like go get a corner. Go get another – because Kenny Moore is a free agent. We'll see what happens with him. You know, I know they, they, they have Brents from last year. Hey, I'm a big Clemson guy, yeah. so there's one that's going to be sitting right there, right? Yeah, I mean, I you know, and, and I look at a guy too, like uh, Kool Aid McKinstry out of Alabama, who everybody's loved for years. It's, I mean, it's a good corner class. It's a good, good Kalen King, this guy out of Penn State. You know, is another guy I look at. I Cam Hart at another Dame down the road, who look, he's not a first round pick, but he he might be a day two guy. Really talented. I. I just think, you know, if you're the Colts, the, the danger with the draft, and teams do this all the time, it's like, let's say they let Pittman go because they're like, hey, we can get a receiver. Well, what's to say that receiver's not going to be Nelson Aguilar, you know, or Jalen Rieger, you know, or Quentin Johnston last year? And maybe Quentin Johnston turns it around, but had a, had a struggle as a year, as a year went on. Like, it's just 
you know what Michael Pittman is. Michael Pittman's a really good football player. Like, if you let that guy walk and you're like, we're going to draft, you know, fill in the blank with the name, and then the guy doesn't pan out, and now you're like, damn, we don't have Pittman, and we, we blew this first round. It's just, I'm a big believer in, like, you know what that guy is. Sign him. He's been in the program, and now he's probably going to play the best quarterbacks ever played with. We had seen all the news last week of where the cap was finally established, and it yep. took a jump that was larger than what some expected it to be. The headline I kept going back to was people talking about how Houston with C.J. Stroud now has a real opportunity to spend stupid money because yep. they can contend potentially now next year with what he did in his rookie campaign. Do you agree with that sentiment, and do you view the Colts in this quarterback arms race knowing that they're on a similar timeline with Houston just in terms of where the South is, that they should do the same? Yeah, I do agree with the sentiment. And I think, look, the Colts get a little overlooked nationally because they didn't win that game at the end of the season. They don't make the playoffs, but they win that game. They win the division. I mean, that, you know, and then you're talking about the Colts as the, the Texans, right? Then you're, like, looking at them that way. I just think it's easier with Houston. You can project them because Stroud had this incredible year and Richardson really didn't get to play very much because of the injury. But, yeah, I mean, like if I'm Chris Ballard, Chris Ballard is a good GM, but he's been somewhat conservative throughout the years in free agency. I do think there's a balance. You don't want to be that team that just goes out and wins free agency because that team always loses free agency in the end. Like, that that team was Washington forever with Dan yeah. Snyder. And it was Miami with, like, Don Ellerby and Mike Wallace. And, and it's like, how's that going? The right? Cowboys played that role for a couple years right. there, right? And, it, yeah. and it's just like those teams, it never works. Look at the Chargers and J.C. Jackson. How's that going? <laughs> right? $20 million in dead money next year. But I do think there's opportunities – on that like second tier where you can really add good solid players that maybe aren't like your frontline guys but they're guys you're like okay this guy can come in and he's going to be a good starter for us on a second contract for three years you know like I look at I mean the Chiefs just won the Super Bowl you look at a guy like Justin Reed who came over second contract didn't pay him a fortune wasn't Marcus Williams getting five and seventy they got three and thirty and he's been an integral part of that team right so I think for the Colts I'd rather have four or five guys like that than these two massive spending spree type of signings that you walk away from going, so when is the dead money hit? Because this guy actually isn't that good, and we owe him $25 in two years from now. Which do you think is a harder, Matt Verderam, SI, our guest, which is a harder, like, vat of mediocrity to get out of? Being 7-9 and nine and 8-8 eight and eight and drafting 20th every year or 12-30 at night at Club Applebee's? Oh, man. Club Apple, <laughs> like, because you uh, could you could make a bold move in the draft at seven and nine. I'll you could make that. a bold move at Club Apple. You can, brother. but that ends in prison um, or divorce court. Um, That's right. Yeah, Club Applebee's. I feel like I feel like once you've stepped into Club Applebee's, you've told the rest of the world that you've given up. <laughs> really, you're, you're walking around with a white flag, right? Yes, like you have surrendered as a human being. <laughs> Where, By the way, just so you know, apparently my sources tell me, Matt. Okay, okay. my source. Sources are telling me that Taco Bell Cantina is the best. You agree, right? I do. Okay. There is one along the beach in Fort Lauderdale. Oh, that's <laughs> that must be unbelievable. So, so let me tell you something. If Bears-Dolphins takes place next year, <laughs> I'm in. We, know, we, know, we know which game you're picking, right? We might have fixed Thursday night football. Like The, th- the games are so bad, but if you just go watch yeah, them at no Live Moss, then they Do they have TVs in there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Multiple big screens. <laughs> By the way, I found the article for Club Applebee's there it is. from Business Insider. Just the headlines, all we need. Check out the debauchery when Applebee's turns into Club Applebee's <laughs> after 10 p.m. No way. What town in Chicago was Club Applebee's? Like, wh- which suburb? Uh, that I, know. I was in New York. I grew up in New York. Oh, okay. So this was in, this was like outside New York City. But it was like but, Long Island? 
Yeah, like right on the outskirts. But there's there's a lot of them. Like, there, it wasn't like there was out one the of Comac them. Applebee's. It's so funny. So I'm actually going to a wedding in Comac in August. Yeah. yeah. You know, okay. And, and I'll tell you what. Listen. If Applebee's is still at Club Applebee's, <laughs> I know where the after party is going to be. Because my buddy who's getting married, he's down. So here's the thing. If you go if you go to the um, Fresh Market in Comac, yeah, that was formerly the Comac Arena, the Long Island yeah. Arena, which it, is where they ABA um, used to play there. Yeah, and yeah. Frampton comes alive was recorded there. That's right. So you can go go have yourself a couple. Uh, you know, Club Applebee's, and then Club head over Apple, there, man. Club Applebee's was like actually a thing. I don't know if it still is. I really don't. But I'm telling you, man, when that first started in high school, I the one I went to, uh, if I remember correctly, was in Middletown, New York, where I near where I grew up. It was like so. It's like an hour away from Long Island, like Orange County, New York, and it was it was ridiculous. Like people would pull up there dressed to the nines. <laughs> and you're like, what? And then, but it also, like, their version of the nines was like an Ed Hardy t shirt. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, like, a, and a hat that said, like, never the, surrender. The shoes that yeah. look like cowboy boots, but they're actually, like, ankle yeah, the high. Low tops, right? yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, I mean, it was just, and we just sit in the parking lot and roll the window down and just openly laugh at people. I, 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 I don't. I shouldn't say this on the radio here because I'm I'm a proud Hoosier, but but essentially what you've just described is like 91 of the 92 counties of Indiana, you know that, right? I mean, like Listen, I, Indiana. So I drive every year from outside Chicago to New York. I go back for a month every summer with my family, and uh, I always drive right past the RV Motorhome Hall of Fame. Yeah, of course. The first time I saw that, I had to pull over and like collect myself. I was blown away, and I told a buddy of mine about it. And like years later, I get a text message with like eight pictures. He stopped there. Oh, of course. And yeah. he's like, "I'm in the theater. There's nobody else in the theater. There's a movie about this." Like it was just. And every yeah. time I pass it, that's all I think about. I'm like, one day I'm going to just stop. I'm going to go in, and I'm going to see. What's you know, you know what you could do, Matt. I, the, listen. This is the marketing mind you're dealing with here, right? <laughs> what what you do is you buy yourself an RV, right? Yeah. You then you you RV it a couple of years in a row, but you stop at the Taco Bell Cantina, you load up, you become basically a mobile Taco Bell, and before you know it, you are in the inducted class of the RV Hall of Fame. That'd right? be amazing. <laughs> that would be the highest honor of my my life and or career. Um, like just be, yeah, be like, like Frank, can we franchise a mobile Taco Bell Cantina? Is that something that is possible? Why not? There's got to be a market can there. I, can I live moss like at, at, a, at a gas station? <laughs> like, can I, is it, is can it we, possible? Can we get at the snake pit maybe? Yeah, the snake pit. You've been to the Indy 500? I've not. I'd uh, love to go. It's like a bucket list, but I've never been. I mean, the, the the snake pit of the Indianapolis 500 is essentially a Taco Bell cantina for 80000 Okay. And then you add another quarter of a million around them. I'm, I mean, I'm open to breaking every copyright infringement law that there is. <laughs> I don't care. You know? um, Indianapolis is going to do what at 15? I think they're going to take a, somebody in the, in the secondary. That's my opinion. I mean, look, you could obviously you could take a receiver depending on what happens with Pittman. You could Bowers is the know. name that, that everybody hears. Literally, just gonna say, you could definitely do that. I mean, that would be. If I just don't think he's going to be. He's there. not going to be there, is he? If he's there, I think they take him. I think they would take. Him. I just I don't know that he'd be there. I think he's would gone they trade up? Is he a big enough talent they would trade up to get him? I'd explore it. I would definitely explore it. I mean, I think you're probably – I've talked to a lot of people this week, and it's good we're finally getting to NFL talk after Club Apple Peace and Taco Bell. But, but, you know, listen, it's more fun. Um, I've talked to a lot of people this week who think the first 10 picks of the draft are going to be offense. That, that Dallas Turner or maybe Jared Verse. Get, is that because of the riches of offense or because it's a defensive depleted draft? 
I think it's because of the riches of offense. I think people just look at this offensive class. Like, I've talked to a lot of people who think the top 100 picks are going to be fantastic. Like, it's very deep top 100, top three rounds, and then it goes off a cliff. So I think a lot of teams are going to be using those back-end picks to try to trade up early. I actually think you're going to see a lot of action teams trying to get up in this draft. Which is opposite the Ballard MO, right? Because yes. Ballard typically is Trade, a let me move back. Correct. And I, I don't think I do not think teams are going to be hoarding picks in day three. I think a lot of teams are going to be saying, look, let's let's package our fourth and sixth round picks. Let's package our fourth and fifth round. It's like let's move up because the the, the talent there is fantastic. But yeah, I think if, if Bowers is there, I think the Colts would absolutely consider him probably take him. And for those that are unfamiliar, that's the tight end out of Georgia, which yes. is the closest to the prototypical new era tight end, yes. right? It's a great player. And then again, you got the corners who there's not like a guy, there's not a, a Stingley who you're like, oh, he's top three, top five. But I think there's a lot of guys who are going to go in that 10 to 50 range. Um, and, if, and if Kenny Moore walks, you know, there's an obvious need there. And I think it's a secondary that you could upgrade it anyway. So, yeah, I think that would be a spot to look at. There's a lot of rumors surrounding what's going to happen with Legereus Sneed in Kansas City. And yep. the reason I bring that up is not to get the ire of Jake and everybody else. It's legitimate that there's been rumors you know, on the lying season that the combine is of yes. maybe Legereus Sneed could be a good fit in Indianapolis. Do you see that? And, and what's the cost if the Colts or if the Chiefs ultimately do tag him? What do you think you're looking at to go get Legereus Sneed, who would I think pair very well with Juju Brents? So yeah, so he's he is tagged. He is tagged, and so um, I was able to break that. Not from Taco Bell. I was going to say, was that? It should have been <laughs> at the cantina. Right? Like, wouldn't that have been great? Is that no? It was actually in this room. But I was able to break a couple days ago. They were going to tag him. They've now tagged him. And so I think, look, if you look at what two tags would cost. Okay, this year's nineteen point eight. So let's just say twenty. And then the following year, it's a twenty percent raise. It'd be twenty four million. So that's like two years and forty four. I don't think he's getting $22 million a year. I just don't think that's going to happen. But I do think he's close to 20 Like, I could see him getting, you know, four years and $18 million per. You know, I think that's possible. Like, four and 72, four and 70. So, would he speed up that rebuild if the Colts decided to go that way, the rebuild look, of the secondary, more I, so than the draft would? Yeah, I mean, look, he... I thought he was the biggest All-Pro snub in the league last year. He was incredible. I mean, McDuffie was their first-team All-Pro. He played better than Trent McDuffie last year, and McDuffie was awesome. But Snead, the nice thing about Snead is he plays in the slot. He plays outside. He can play zone. He can play press. I mean, his best snaps, in my opinion, are press man because he just plays like a boxer. I mean, he right. just gets at the line of scrimmage and will maul you to death. But I think he's probably going to cost a second-round pick, and then he's going to be an expensive contract. So some teams are really going to have to be all in on him. Do you think the franchise tag – is more often than not pays a guy more than what he would normally get or is a total buzzkill for that guy? I think it depends on the situation, but more often than not, I would say that that guy probably wants to get the market because, yeah, like like for Snead right now, $19.8 million, I think that's probably close to what he's going to get annually. Maybe it's even a little bit more. But if he hits market, he's probably going to get $40, 50000000 million guaranteed. Right. Right. So I, mean, I like, guess you're right because you want to make sure you, want you cash in while you're healthy, right? Yeah. And with him, you know, he's had he's had knee issues at times. Like, nothing horrible, but just kind of – like, he missed most of training camp with a nagging knee injury. He's 27. Like, if you're him, you want to cash in now. You know, you don't want to go through that extra year of sitting there and going, all right. Now, now look, I think the Chiefs, they say that, hey, they're still trying to sign him. I think they're waiting to see what happens with Chris Jones. If they sign Chris Jones, I think they will trade Snead. If they don't sign Chris Jones, I don't think they're going to lose both guys. Well, and, I, you know, Indianapolis could potentially, maybe not this year, but you find yourself when you have that, – that's 
if you draft well and you have young players and then all of a sudden you've got to start extending all at one yeah, time, you're going to lose guys. I mean, that's just the reality, right? Yes. And, and they're open about the fact – Chris Ballard was open about the fact of, hey, hey look, you know, we, we want to keep our guys. That's the first priority, but you can't always do it, right? You can't. It's hard. I mean, you know, we're, you look at these teams that have drafted really well in, in recent years, and a lot of those teams are, of course, the best teams in the league. But, like, we're just talking about Kansas City. I mean, that, that's a team that, like, next year they've got a ton of guys because they drafted four or five guys who can play every year. And it, with the Colts, they have a lot of good young players. I mean, at some point, like, Pittman now is up. Got to pay him, right? I mean, you look at, you know, some of these younger edge rushers they've had that have started to come on. You look at you look at a guy like Juju Brents in a couple of years, right, when he becomes extension eligible, if he continues to, to go on that upward trajectory. The problem that fans have, and I get it, I 100% get it, is like, we can't lose this guy, we can't lose that guy. You have to lose some of those yeah. guys. I mean, that's just reality. You have, to, otherwise, you're the Saints, and you're 100 million dollars over the cap every year, and you're just you're just basically robbing Peter to pay Paul, and at some point, you're going to be an expansion team because you're going to have to let it all expire. But like, it, the, the the key is if you draft well, even if you lose a guy or two like that, you can replenish and replace, and you have a cheap contract to do it with. I think that's. You know, that's the thing that, you know, that's why Buffalo right now is in pain financially because, frankly, up until recently, they have not drafted very well. Well, what was the, you know, Buffalo this year when they were eliminated, the last, one of the last comments nationally that was said about it was, hey, this this might have been it, right? Yeah. Like, the, because and now all of a sudden. Von Miller's contract is so gross. Like, that, that's among other things, but. It's brutal, but like, it's, it's also like, look, they, they drafted Kyrie Elam. Kyrie Elam can't play. He cannot play, right? They, they didn't find any depth, like, at safety for a while. Yeah. So now, like, Poyer and Hyde, like, they're good players, but they're in their 30s. They're expensive. Now Hyde's leaving a free agency, and they're going to release Poyer, I think everybody expects. But they've had to re-sign guys into their 30s. They had to pay Von Miller yeah. a fortune because Boogie Basham wasn't, wasn't good. And Greg Rousseau's been fine, but he hasn't been a guy who's given you 10, 12 sacks a year. And so you end up in this spot where you don't have any cheap contracts coming in. You pay Dawson Knox. A lot of money. Now, they finally, they drafted him. Kincaid looks like he's going to be a star, but now you've got Dawson Knox making $14 million a year to be a backup. Like, they just, they are now in a spot where they're in, they're in pain. And Gabe Davis is going to leave, and Leonard Floyd's going to leave, and Epines is probably going to leave, and Daquan Jones is going to leave. And it's like, that's the price you pay for not drafting well for years. Now you're stuck with all these guys who are aging and injured and old, and, you're, and you've got to kind of rebuild and retool. Which you're, art form is harder in the lying season of the combine because we tweeted about this the last couple of days is it saying words without saying anything or is it blatantly misleading which is harder for a general manager or more impressive to you i think it's i think it's the saying nothing but still talking for 20 minutes nick casario talked. we, we do it all day <laughs> well, that's that's why we all get paid nick nick casario spoke for a minute I, a minute even i had it recorded on my phone i tweeted it out people can see it he said nothing but cliches for a straight minute with a straight face. And it was like answering the most innocuous question in the world. It was like, hey, how do you feel about this draft class? And he just would not, like, nothing. Just, you know, they're young, they're talented. We're going to see what happens. We're going to evaluate. We're going to, and you're like, just one time I'd love a coach to come up there and make a listen. These guys suck. These guys aren't good, man. But, like, the league mandates we got to pick seven of them. So we're going to, and we're going to hope for the best, and we're going to hope somebody's dumb in front of us and passes on a guy we like. But, like, frankly, not good, not that talented. Like, just one time, although the closest, really, I could ever remember that happening was here in Indy with Ballard when they were trading Carson Wentz, and he 
basically went up to the podium and was just like, yeah, we're moving on. We're, we're done with this. Look, it was unbelievable. He, he was walking up to the podium, and his owner pulled him aside and said, just so you know, there's zero chance that you are going to have Carson Wentz next year, so have fun with that. You know what I mean? It was, it was incredible. Ur- Ursay wanted nothing to do with Carson Wentz, period. I remember sitting there and thinking, like, this is the most honest I've ever heard somebody be about a player. And then I was also like, what is he doing, though? He's going to tank any ability to trade him. And then Washington was like, wait a minute, we're Washington. <laughs> he knew Washington was in the league, right? <laughs> he was That's like, the bottom line. Washington's like, what about a second? <laughs> I mean, Ballard must have had to, like, be like, oh, we'll call you back in five minutes, then compose himself. I wonder if Chris was like, how about a first? And, like, if he actually had the guts to ask for a first-round pick for Carson Wentz, if he was like, you know, we'll take the second. That's why you go to I, Taco Bell and live Moss. And that's right. Get the commanders going. So you are here. Your last day here is when? Uh, tomorrow morning. You will go how many more times to Taco Bell Cantina between now and then? If anybody would like to meet me uh, tonight at about 3 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> I will be living Moss. I might write the column while living Moss tonight. I am, I am jacked up to go. I'll be there. I'll All be right. There. They got a DJ in there? They, they haven't, but, you know, they ought to. But I haven't been there on a Friday or a Saturday night, though. For all I know, it could be a rave. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, okay. I got to get a Taco Bell PR person on the phone. But can you explain to me what the hell's happening? <laughs> well, we will look forward to that. More than, no, no offense, more than the football columns, right? No, none taken. <laughs> I'm not even writing a football column. I wrote, I wrote a notebook. I'm, written, I'm writing one more notebook. And, uh, and then Taco Bell. That's it. So people can look forward to that. All right. We, look, we, look, we do look forward to exactly that. He's Matt Verderam of SI, covers the NFL nationally. And, again, can't wait for that Live Moss Taco Bell Cantina post. Matt, great to finally see you in person and looking forward to keeping up during the offseason. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate you. Don Julio and a quesadilla, please, right? Do you think Ross Tucker is a Taco Bell Cantina guy? I think he could go for it, yeah. We'll find out because he's going to join us next. We're live at the NFL Combine. You're listening to Quarian Company on a Thursday, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. NFL Combine, Jake Quarry along with Jimmy Cook. Matt Verderam, pretty fun conversation, I'd say, right, Jimmy? Yeah, I mean, look, Matt never disappoints, but to get that extra layer of the beefy five layer, if you will, Jake, and get a little Taco Bell cantina talk, I, I got to hit it up now. I don't know if that means that uh, we're taking a show road trip at some point in time, but that, that's because I've been in the one in Vegas, and if it's like he's describing, it's great. You can get everything from, as you mentioned, uh, Don Julio to some beers to you can actually infuse like their frozen Baja slushies. It's, it's a great time, and I assume the one in Indy, at least from Matt's account, lives up to the hype. We got to go together. Uh, joining us now, on the program talking about the combine and more. He is with CBS Westwood One as well. He has been on this program. Ross Tucker, who has been very patient in waiting, and my apologies for that. Ross, first off, happy combine to you. Yeah, happy combine to you guys, even though I'm not there. Believe it or not, I've only actually ever been there one time for it, and it was fantastic. But if I don't have like an employer paying me to be there, after I just was away from my family every single weekend from the first Eagles preseason game to the Super Bowl, no offense, fellas, I'm not, I'm not doing it. <laughs> um, trust me, no offense taken. I, you know, I actually, 
Well, I was wondering about this, and you would be a good person to, to answer this. And I mean this as no – listen, from a city standpoint, from an economic standpoint, uh, the more the merrier, right, as far as we in Indianapolis are concerned. But I am curious, the, the number of people that each franchise sends here – in my opinion, Ross, and you tell me if you think I'm wrong here, but but I get this feeling that like the number of people that are here for each franchise is probably like 250% higher than actually technically needs to be here in a working capacity, but you got to cover all your bases. Is that a fair statement? I would say it's definitely fair that they that there are people from organizations that go there that probably don't need to be there. Um, but what I would tell you is, I think, you know, if you're meeting with prospects that you like or want to find out more about at every different position group, a lot of times you want the position coach to be there, right? I mean, you want, you want to get their opinion of the guy. So it's not just the head coach. It's not just the coordinator. You kind of want to know what the position coach thinks of him as a player as well as, you know, as a person. For those meetings, you know, you want the position coach to watch them in the workout. Now, there are teams that are not sending coaches, not sending head coaches because they can watch the workouts later. They feel they can get more work done. I understand those things. Some people think it's really just like a, uh, a party thing uh, at night and it's not as necessary. It's primarily about the physicals and you don't need to be there for that anyway. So, uh, there's differing vantage points on that for sure. Ross, this year we've talked about the depth at wide receiver in this draft class. We've talked about the potential offensive weapons, and maybe you're getting five, six, seven, maybe eight offensive players out of the gate in the first eight picks. The Colts are slotted at 15th. Brock Bauer has been mocked to them. A couple cornerbacks, a couple edge rushers. Maybe they go for a wide out there. If you were in charge and you're looking at 15 in this class based on a de facto rookie season for what you think is your franchise quarterback and Anthony Richardson, where are you leaning at this stage? Well, I, honestly, like if, if he's still there at 15, I wouldn't hesitate at all. I would take Brock Bowers. Um you know, I think that would be ridiculous to me if he didn't go until 15. The guy was arguably the best player in college football the last three years, um, certainly the last two years. We were talking about him. I did a Georgia game. Earlier. I did the Georgia game where he got hurt against Vanderbilt, and we were talking about him as it relates to the Heisman. He's a fantastic football player, and I think it's the most undervalued position in the sport right now. I mean. You look at these teams, think about what Travis Kelsey means to the Chiefs. Think about what Kittle means, obviously, to the Niners. I mean, Mark Andrews is the number one weapon for the Baltimore Ravens. I think Sam Laporta is probably second for the Lions after Amon Ross St. Brown. So you're talking about a position that makes a huge difference, in my mind, in the outcome of games. And especially for a young quarterback like Anthony Richardson, that would be invaluable to have a guy like Bowers that is really, really hard to defend, really smart, really good run after the catch, and all the RPO stuff, all, all the stuff that Richardson's ability allows you to do. I'll tell you what you guys should do. Look at the numbers for Dallas Goddard, the two years that Shane Steichen was calling plays for the Eagles. 
He was the single most efficient receiver in the sport. Look at it. Look, look at yards per attempt to Dallas, to, to any receiver in 21 and 22. Dallas Goddard, a tight end of all people, was number one, and that's because of Shane Steichen. And, and obviously Goddard's a good player, but Steichen would know how to use him. Uh, I'm not even debating. If, if Bowers is there and I'm the Colts, I'm taking him. Ross Tucker is our guest. You can also hear him in podcast form along with his work with, of course, as we had previously mentioned, CBS and Westwood One, RossTuckerMedia.com, where you can read and see all of the different places in which his opinions and perspectives are available. Ross, one of the big question marks of this draft, and, and, and I don't know how much it would affect or have ripple down effect all the way down to where Indianapolis is at 15. Perhaps it doesn't. But do you think Chicago ends up staying at one, or are we going to see all of a sudden all hell break loose in the early portion of the draft itself? I guess the only thing I would say is if they don't stay, if they don't stay at one, I kind of feel like they would just trade down to like two and still get a quarterback. I'd be really surprised if they didn't end up taking a quarterback uh, with one of those first two picks. So um, I, I don't think it'll be all, all heck breaking loose. I think they'll end up taking a quarterback one or two. And I think, I think the first three guys off the board will probably be quarterbacks. You know, the one I'm not sure about is New England because if the first two guys off the board are Caleb Williams and Jaden Daniels, I'm not convinced that New England will love Drake May enough to take him there. You know, it's interesting because J.J. McCarthy all of a sudden, you, you tell me, Ross, it seems to me, I mean, obviously the guy can play. I mean, you know, he's at Michigan. He, he's working with Jim Harbaugh. He wins a national title. His name all of a sudden is starting to creep into conversation of, you know, is he all of a sudden somebody that if they are looking in the teens at quarterback, is he going to be available to them? Or could there be teams that maybe even would trade up because they feel like all of a sudden he's going to go earlier and they don't want to miss out on it? a really good question. It's interesting because I talked about J.J. this week on the College Draft podcast as well as the Raw Sucker Football podcast with Greg Cosell today, uh, the, the NFL Films legend, and neither one of those guys are all that high on J.J. McCarthy. So uh, while it's a bull that, that they would go ahead and they would take him I don't think you need to trade up for him. I mean, if you take J.J. McCarthy, you're really falling in love with sort of the intangibles and the leadership. People can check out my social media, at Ross Tucker NFL, because there's going to be clips up there the next couple days talking about it. But, I mean, I've talked to several people now that are not overly high on McCarthy, whether it's his arm talent. the I mean, there's a lot of third downs where Michigan would – run the ball or they would throw a screen. It was almost like they didn't really trust him that much in those situations. So, I don't know. I mean, I've seen other people make the argument that, hey, you know, he would have put up the same numbers as these other guys if he got more of an opportunity. But, you know, that's conjecture and, and that's speculation. Maybe it's right, but I don't know. I mean, from what I've heard, people are not uh, – some of the quarterback experts I – talk to and I feel really strongly about their opinion, they're not all that high on J.J. McCarthy. I mean, they don't even think he's a first-round pick, let alone moving up into the top ten. 
CBS Sports and Westwood One's Ross Tucker is our guest. You can also hear him on the Ross Tucker podcast. Going back to Brock Bowers for just a second, because a lot of people, and I know mocks are just tools. They don't mean anything. They're not a guarantee of what's going to happen. They're just meant to be a, you know, a supplemental piece of information. But there's a lot of them where that's where he's at is the 12 to 18 range, depending on how far down a mock goes for him. But I'm with you, Ross. I think he's an incredibly talented player, maybe one of the most talented playmakers in the draft. When you look at the idea of him falling down to the 12 to 18 range, is that more of the teams that are there due to there's a lot of offensive tackles, a lot of wide receivers, a lot of corners that are projected to go there? Is that more due to team need? Or is that more due to just the the overall view of tight end right now in the league? Well, so what I'll tell you about it is that they would argue it's positional value, and which I think is laughable because I think tight end is an extremely valuable position. But if you look like at the franchise tag numbers, and I know you guys are talking about that because of Pittman, but look at the tight end franchise tag number. It's like twelve million. I mean, so the thought process is if you take Bowers in the top 10, okay, I don't know, he's probably making like $8 million a year. So you're not really getting that much of a discount for, for a guy on a rookie contract as opposed to what a high-end veteran would be getting. Whereas if you get a receiver or these other positions you named, where the, where the franchise tag is like $20 million. well, if you have a guy playing at a $20 million level for $8 million a year, $8 million a year, you're getting a lot of value out of it. If you have a guy playing at a franchise tag level at tight end at $8 million a year, well, you're only kind of getting $4 million worth of value because you can pay somebody to, pay, to, to, to play at that level for $12 million. That's the That's the concern that people have with taking tight ends high. I think it's galactically stupid. I think if you look at the teams that have really had – I mean, why do you think Brady won those last three Super Bowls? Gronk was a huge reason for that. I mean, I made a joke the other day that all you need to do to have a dynasty is have an all-time great head coach. You have to have arguably the best head coach ever, arguably the best quarterback ever, and arguably the best tight end ever. That's it. I thought it was, you know, Kelsey, Mahomes, Andy Reid, and Bill Belichick, Gronk, Brady. And people are like, yeah, see, you just need to get a tight end. I was kind of joking, right? Like, it's kind of hard to get three of the best ever at their different spots. But there is something there, right? There is something there about the value that those guys represent, both on the field, inside the white lines, but even, even to the point where, let's say it works out for Bowers. And he becomes the best tight end in the league. Well, tight ends are way behind. Like, Bowers, will, five years from now, Bowers still won't even make what Pittman's making because of how much more wide receivers get paid to tight end, which I think is really dumb, but that's where it is right now. Ross Tucker is our guest. He, of course, is the host that you hear on the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, along with the other places that his talents are exhibited throughout the course of the NFL season. Ross, when you look at the combine itself and just in general, I guess generically speaking, I'm going to take quarterback out of the equation. 
the position that most translates from college to NFL style and thus is the easiest to target a guy's success possibility is what and which position has the biggest chasm between those two styles of play and thus it's the hardest to pinpoint whether a guy's talent translates? Um, good question. I'm going to say I think that the one that's probably most similar is probably edge rusher. You know, I mean, you can really see what those guys can do. Uh, it's such a position where it's, you know, speed, athleticism, explosiveness. You can see how good they are with their hands. You know, there's a long track record of guys that are – they get a lot of sacks in college and they go to the NFL and they get a lot of sacks. You know what I mean? Like – even like FCS and D2 guys, you either have a knack for doing that or you don't. I think that's probably the one that translates the most. The least is really interesting. Um, I think it depends uh, a lot. You know, I used I would have said previously quarterback without any hesitation, but you know, I do think NFL offenses are becoming more and more similar to college offenses in some way. I mean, it's, if I'm being honest. It's still probably, you know, quarterback. Um, But I think you can make an argument in some offenses, it's wide receiver. I mean, some of these offenses, those guys, those wide receivers, they're only running like two routes. You ever watch Tennessee play college football? It's like they either run a go route or a stop route. It's really unbelievable. They're not running the whole route tree. Uh, A lot of times they're not going against press coverage. I think wide receivers actually sneaky up there too. He is Ross Tucker. You can follow him on Twitter at Ross Tucker NFL. Of course, you know him from CBS Sports and Westwood One. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to the Ross Tucker Podcast. Ross, appreciate you making the time for us as always. Enjoy the rest of the offseason and hope we catch up here soon down the line as we get the countdown of the draft. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it. Ross Tucker joining us here as we are at the Combine. Last night, just down the road from where we are at the Indiana Convention Center, Gamebridge Fieldhouse, big one for the Pacers. We'll get back into that and tell you what player might be emerging at the right time for Indiana. Talking about the Pacers, I mean. That conversation next. Quarry and Company here, 93.5-1075 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. So this is the nerd in me. Uh, he's clearly looking for leap and jump songs. Jimmy Cook, Jake Query from the Combine. Uh, this is from the video Beautiful. game Super Mario Odyssey. Came out about, oh, I don't know, five, six years ago. But uh, Jump You Superstar, I believe. Nice the name deep of that cut song. from Eddie so, there on this leap deep. year. See, yep. again, if you were born on February 29th and you're celebrating a birthday today and you're a leapling, then I want you to text me or tweet to me your name because you deserve to have your – this is your day. You deserve to have your name – like, for example, Curtis Wellborn. 
born on February 29th. Curtis, it's your day today. Tyrese Halliburton, born on February 29th. It's his day today. If your birthday is today, then I want to be able to give you your proper due. Last night at the Pacers game against the New Orleans Pelicans at Cambridge Fieldhouse, a guy that I thought got his proper due, Ben Shepard, yep. continues to, I think, kind of have things – just slow down for him, right? You've been and, high on him the last month man. or so, and you're seeing it game by game. Yeah, and, and let me tell you something very interesting that happened last night. It was midway through or late in the fourth quarter. I think New Orleans had cut the lead to like six. And the Pacers had been up 18 at one point. And Benedict Matherin picked up a foul. Kind of a questionable call, but he picked up a foul, and it was his fifth foul. And I think there was just under six minutes to go in the game. But it gotten a little bit closer than it probably should have been. And one of the staff members for the Pacers, one of the trainers, when it comes to fouls, will consistently come down to let Rick Carlisle know, the player that just got a foul, how many fouls they have, and you know things like that. Well, he grabbed so, like two in a span of like two seconds. Yeah. So he comes down to him. Matherin did, right? Yep. So they come down to Carlisle. And say, you know, he says in his ear, I see him. He says, you know, that's five on Ben. And literally within, like, with no hesitation, Carlisle whips around, looks at the bench, and yells, Shep, Shep. And Ben Shepard's up and running in. Now, to have a guy that you took in the first round with your second pick in the draft that, granted, a four-year player, but a guy that there were questions about because of the league that he was playing in in college, not questions about, but that there were, you know, there was going to be some some acclimation time. For him to get that call in that moment late in the game, not because of necessity, but rather instinctively, sure, you don't have Aaron Neesmith out there, and maybe that's a guy that, that's in the rotation as well, but Matherin starting last night. But Shepard to get his number called in that moment without any hesitation and him going into the game and just looking more comfortable within his role than even a month ago, including his baseline threes that just he's taking now more instinctively and in rhythm than kind of stopping and thinking about it and looking like he's antsy because the game's moving too fast. It's an additional weapon for the Pacers, that is a really, really important one. When I look at Ben Shepard, where he was selected, what he's asked to do for this team right now as a rookie, where he can continue to develop, I see a player that spent a fair amount of time in college that was supposed to be more of a proven commodity in the NBA, even though, as you mentioned, there were questions about the competition level at Belmont and how would that translate. And some of that's chatter, but the point is those chats were had that he's this experienced college player that's going to be NBA-ready. Jake, I look at Ben Shepard with where the Pacers roster is at right now, and he's everything I think they thought they were going to get when they drafted Chris Duarte a couple years ago. You're getting, you're getting a totally a, a, agree. A, you're getting an ex- That's totally agree. He is. I, I had a conversation earlier today where I said we are going to find out whether in the next year or so whether Ben Shepard is Chris Duarte. That's exactly the name I gave because he was kind of plug ready to go, right? Yeah. Or whether or not he is actually more of a guy that. You know, because Duarte, I, I just think psychologically for Duarte, when things went awry, it, it was tough on him. But Ben Shepard looks like a guy that I think is going to be able to play. 
and this is what you hope, certainly, you know, second contract guy that is maybe not ever a starter, but a really yeah. solid, versatile six to seven guy that gives you consistent minutes and can shoot the basketball, which is uh, a key thing. There's something that's happened here at the Combine that has nothing to do with the world of sports or football that I'm very curious about. And I want to know if I'm the only one that's noticed it, and it's a merging trend that started like three years ago, and I think it's absurd. So I'm going to be an old, gl- old guy yelling at clouds in a couple minutes. All right? And we may have some more guests as well. It's Quarry Company here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. We are back at the Indiana Convention Center. Who's your corridor, Jay? Is it corridor or corridor? What you go with there, Jay? Corridor. Corridor. NFL Combine is upon us. This is day two that we are out here. Here is my old man yelling at clouds. And Courtney Cronin, who is an Indiana graduate, returned guest to the program and covers the Chicago Bears, who are sitting tentatively with the number one pick in the draft, is joining us here live. So, Courtney, I need you to be the judge and jury on whether or not I'm just an old man yelling at clouds here. All right, I can do that. I I totally get, and I'm not like a, I have in my closet, I'm not kidding you, probably 10 suits. I haven't worn any funerals and weddings, right? this point Mm -hmm. i worked in tv so i had to wear a lot of them for a long time but i am definitely a casual dress comfortable dress guy totally on board with that but i i I think a lot of guys think this looks cool here and i think it looks absurd even though i guess it's fashionable now and it started about three years ago during the final four was the first time i saw it but wearing like a nice navy or gray suit with the loudest ugly Nike high-top tennis shoes known to man to me looks ridiculous. Your thoughts? It's, I mean, we see it on TV. If you watch Get Up, none of them are wearing dress shoes. They're all wearing these, like, very tailored, like, sometimes it's the high-water pants, and that, to me, if you're tall, you should never be allowed to wear those. I don't need to see six inches of your lower calf. Correct. Not a fan. Um, But the, I don't know if that looks going away. I think I'd rather have that in college basketball, honestly, than coaches wearing athleisure. I'm not a fan of that look. It's, I know I was dunking on Mike Woodson when we were talking off the air, but I do like that he still wears the suit. Right. I can no, appreciate I that. I, I just think my thing is this. If you're going to wear a suit, that's cool. You've got to wear it with dress shoes in your and, mind. And, I mean, it doesn't even have to be dress shoes. Like, I, I'm totally on board with, like, the, you know, the, the shoes now you see with the white sole and black shoes sure. that are kind of a more like a Cole Haan hybrid shoe. That's yep. cool. But, like, the the Kyrie Irving high-top tennis shoes that are seven different colors with a navy blue suit, you just look like you're trying too hard. You want people to ask you about your shoes. Like, man, those are some great shoes. It's an, it's, it's an attention ploy. You're probably onto something with this. We, but you've seen that here. Oh my gosh! I've only me? seen people in like team gear and athleisure. Well, this is the this is the king of. Here's the thing. It's just like the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. If you go to the Super Bowl, you'll be sitting in the Super Bowl like media hotel, and like John Elway walks past, Peyton Manning walks past, Joe Montana walks past, Jerry Rice walks past. None of them is wearing a Super Bowl ring. 
right? Some fat, balding guy that looks like he's got one foot on a banana peel and the other on a coffin walks by, and he's got three <laughs> rings on. And you're like, who the hell is that guy? And they're like, oh, he was the backup long snapper for the 80 Raiders. He's got to wear his Super Bowl ring everywhere, right? It's kind of the same thing here. You get all these guys walking around in their team gear, and you're like, what's that guy doing? Like, he's the assistant video editor. <laughs> okay, well, what's the, the general manager's not wearing that. He's just wearing a flat-brimmed hat, right? So for your birthday, I now know loud high tops and flat brim hats is what you I mean, I'm cool with it because I'm – look, like I love me some me, right? So, like, I'm going to be convinced that whatever I'm wearing is cool. But there, you either go one way or the other. You just – you know what I mean? You either go one way or the other. But anyway, uh, Courtney, the Bears are sitting at number one. Are they going to select there? I think they're taking Caleb Williams. I haven't come away with any sort of buzz that like doesn't lead you to believe that they're not going to use that pick. And maybe it's the biggest smokescreen of all time, and maybe that's calculated, but how can you trot Justin Fields after you've just kind of dangled him out there saying, if we're going to do right by the court, you know, our guy who's the locker room beloved leader, you're going to try to do something ahead of free agency so he doesn't live on this quote-unquote gray area. How do you do that and then bring him back and he's your franchise guy? Unless there's some sort of calculated thing we're going to find out like in the moments of this thing going down. But I just, everything I'm coming away with leads me to believe that they are taking a quarterback at one. So the million-dollar question would be this, and that is, what would make the Bears believe and I don't watch them as, you know, I mean, I don't watch the Bears game in, game out, practice in, practice out like you would. What would make the Bears believe that anything around Caleb Williams is going to facilitate for success for Caleb Williams any more than Justin Fields? Well, I think there's uh, like the upside for Caleb coming in. He's not coming into a bad team. Like, so often we see teams take a quarterback number one overall, and they're coming into teams that look like the Houston Texans did a year ago right. to whatever. I mean, C.J. Stroud played out of his mind. They still didn't have the infrastructure in place to have a 10-7 and team and win a wild card game. That, there's a lot of luck with that. The Bears, the upside of like having Caleb Williams come to Chicago is he's coming to a team that finished seven and ten, that has an ascending defense, an offense that you have DJ Moore in, you have your franchise right tackle, they've got a good stable of running backs, you can upgrade at a number of different positions, and you would think that's a that's a that's a system that you're getting success out so of. So where did it fall short for Justin Fields? I think a lot of it's this and it's nothing against him. It's just that like there's certain flaws within his game that I don't know have ever really been corrected from Ohio State all the way through year three in the NFL. Scanning down the field too long, sometimes just being uh, like almost like gun shy to to launch certain balls to certain places to throw guys open. The offensive line, he got hit a ton his rookie year. Got hit a ton. He got hit last year, and people are always going to look at the sack numbers. He took different hits last year, and I think that some of that was the scheme, the way that it was designed to protect him, to overcome some of the shortcomings, but... You know, he's a bottom third quarterback in every major passing category three years in. Have the circumstances not been great for him? No, they haven't. You know, two different coordinators, learning two different offenses in in a very short amount of time. And the roster, what it looked like in 2022, you're not supposed to compete with that roster. It was designed for him to fail. But... That's still like against the clock on the quarterback, and if you don't know, you know. I just think that after three years, sitting where they are right now with one and nine, it's too unique of an opportunity for them to pass up 
getting the best player in the draft, who right now the consensus is I mean, is it could be Williams. what the Texans did a year ago, essentially. I mean, I know that it wasn't 1-9 and nine for Houston, but you get quarterback and then you go defense, boom, yep. right there. You got two guys. If you hit on both, mm-hmm. big if, right? Then you got a good opportunity. If they are to move Justin Fields, Courtney Cronin is our guest. You can find her work on ESPN.com covering the Bears. If they are to move Justin Fields, is there an inherent timeline or deadline for when this could happen? Is that a draft night trade? Is mm-hmm. that into the post-draft, into the summer type of deal? No, I think it's like within the next, like, so? you know, if it happened in the next 72 hours, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean... If we're looking back at last year, they traded the number one overall pick the Friday after the combine. It was like the 5 p.m. news dump. I was not thrilled about it. I was in New Orleans trying to take like one last weekend before free agency. <laughs> and all of a sudden that broke and, you know, them trading the pick to Carolina, get in the hall. They need to capitalize on the pre-free agency market because that's when the price might be the highest for Justin Fields because then you have to consider about Kirk Cousins like if they don't I think before I think before the 11th before the legal tampering period opens because Cousins in Minnesota maybe they agree to a deal uh you know preliminarily it doesn't become official till Wednesday same thing with Russell Wilson like where is he going to go once Denver inevitably releases him you've got to get the mar- you've got to hit the market while it's hot for Justin Fields, and that's right now. I wouldn't be surprised if by the time the Bears leave here at the end of the weekend, if the if a deal's in place and that we find out at some point next week that he's on the move somewhere. You highlight the clear gaps in his game that have been present through the first three seasons of his career. Now, this is a difficult question, but is that more on him, or is that more, as you kind of highlighted, around all the chaos that's been involved around the Bears during that time. He's just, he, he came into such an unfortunate situation that I don't know if he was ever really set up for true success. And that's, they tried, um, but they also had a lot of undoing at the start of this rebuild two years ago that just unfortunate that he was drafted when he, when he was. But there are still, like, the fatal flaw coming out of college for him, for his game, was that he held onto the ball too long. And that has been a trend that in moments when he schemed to do it, it looks like there's improvement. But sometimes I feel like the habits die really hard. And those are things that, you know, whether it's coaching, whether they can't coach it out of him, whether it's just like an inherent thing that he's never going to be able to, you know, just rise above that. Then it's a healthy mix of blame to go around. But like, let's look at the Luke Getze situation. Like, he just got hired by the Raiders. The Raiders are telling you through that hire that they did not feel that Getze was the problem as the offensive coordinator. Otherwise, they don't hire him. You know what I mean? Because they could have been in the market since they're at 13. They're not in a favorable spot to go trade up and mortgage the, the future of their franchise. the worst place to be if you're looking for a quarterback. And, and they're not going to do that. They're not jumping from 13 to 1. Their best chance, like, would have been to go get a Justin Fields. And I don't think they're repairing him, like, pairing him back up with, with Luke Getze again, uh, basically on those circumstances. By the way, is legal tampering an oxymoron? <laughs> it's the weirdest phrase. The, isn't just, it? Like, if it's legal, it's not tampering, right? Mm-hmm. It's, the, I guess, now, like, the official terms of the negotiation it's like your It's like your girlfriend telling you that you're permitted cheating. You know what I mean? It's called a hall pass. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, right? You know, it just seems odd to me. Um, so... Indiana calls you tomorrow and they say, Courtney, listen, we heard you on the radio. You were talking about the Bears. Uh, You know what you're talking about. You're in Chicago. You went to IU. We're in a situation with Mike Woodson. We should do what? Look, I I know this is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately business. The team went to the Sweet 16 a year ago. I don't know how you have a basketball team that doesn't have guys who can shoot the basketball. Can Can you rationalize that for me? Well, the thing that's weird is this with Mike Woodson. 
Woodson came from the NBA. Mm-hmm. He's a player's from coach. A, from, a, from a coaching standpoint. The style of play in the NBA, and in particular the style of play that New York ran, was one where you have the NBA in general. We just had an NBA All-Star game where people got tired of seeing guys pulling up from half court and hitting shots, right? Everyone in the league can shoot. You got five guys on the floor for Mike Woodson's NBA offense where you have scorers and shooters all the way across the floor spaced out. So it is enigmatic to me how he goes into a college system where if the, the, if the selling point of Mike Woodson was the fact that he was an NBA coach who has NBA style and NBA flavor, then why are we not seeing NBA roster build at the college level in Indiana? The reason I said players coach, it's like always the first thing I'm going to think of with Mike Woodson. I don't know if it's a recruiting thing. I don't know if it's the roster construction. And obviously NIL makes things much harder now. I don't know that. I don't know if he's the right fit in terms of that for this uni- for this team because I don't know that these guys. I'm not saying they're not being coached hard enough. Not would I'd never say that for for any reason. But like the same stuff's popping up after the Illinois game, after what happened Tuesday night. Like I just, where, where's the change going to happen? How do you have a basketball team well, with guys who can't shoot the ball? There's nothing horizon at all. And, like, and I think the thing that is frustrating is that. For this particular team, mm-hmm. in Mike Woodson's explanation of the shortcomings of this particular team, the he put, and I've said this a lot on, on this show, and you tell me if you disagree, Mike Woodson has basically said that the, the engine started to fall apart because one of the key pistons of Xavier Johnson started misfiring. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been misfiring for four years, <laughs> and, and it misfired at the place where it came from. So they put their eggs too much in the basket of one guy that has a precedent of being unreliable so you kind of are getting what you you asked for right i that's i think that's probably the best way to put it i mean now and what the, the roster looks like next year like where's malik is malik renew going to be back here well even he if hitting? they stay like that's where it like, starts right you got to yeah. retain renew you got to retain Mbako. but the biggest issue this year has been guard play and there's nothing in the recruiting class they have a mm-hmm. good big man in liam mcneely but they're gonna have to hit it out of the park in the portal and they failed to do that this past off season. i don't feel like He's, I don't know if he's used the portal to his advantage by any stretch. And it's hard because some coaches don't want to buy into I think into he's that. tried. Well, I think they want to. They want to be the NIL school. That's why it is jarring to me that they But, like, why so can't much. they? That, that's the yeah. thing. The brand itself should be enough of a draw now for in the pay-for-play era because yeah. that's what it is. But it's not. And so that's for an outsider, somebody who's not covering the team anymore, that's what I can't understand. Like, what's, what's short-circuiting there but that, from it, allowing that to happen? This, I think this has a lot to do with it. And if you have a guy that if, – if NIL money is how you are enticing a player to come to you, mm-hmm. then that player is, press, is putting precedent on dollar or individual stock versus like – so in other words, the brand of the team isn't as important to that guy as, as he himself. But the brand could right? help make that guy a lot of money. Uh, understood, but – this is where I think we err in Indiana. I think we in Indiana think that Indiana is a bigger brand than Indiana is. I think we in Indiana think that a 16-year-old kid right now in San Antonio, Texas, thinks of Indiana in the same breath as Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, Louisville, and UCLA. That's always been the delusion, though, And in right? reality, that kid thinks of Indiana in the same breath as Iowa State, Vanderbilt, Cal Berkeley, and 
North Carolina State, right? And so then you get people that are like, oh, but we have all this money where we can get them here and, and et cetera, et cetera. And then that kid comes here and plays well, a la Khalil Ware. But he's doing it for Khalil Ware. He ain't doing that for Indiana, right? That's the double-edged sword of the whole thing. And that's, but, I, I think, the challenge they get into. I don't think that's an Indiana problem. I think that's a college basketball problem. And why I have issues with that is NIL works at other schools. For whatever reason, in the early goings of this new era since 2021, it has not worked at Indiana. But, but give me the schools where it works. I mean, it, it working at Purdue. It's working at Kentucky. Like it, well, it's working at I would disagree with Purdue because um, other than Zach Eady, I don't know that Purdue is enticing players based on NIL, at least the, of the current roster. Kansas, okay? Well, a kid's going to go to Kansas because he's seen them play in like eight Final Fours in the last 12 years. A kid going to Indiana, Indiana fans, like the guy sitting right now that's sitting there at a BW3 somewhere watching Indiana is convinced that a kid wants to go there because Isaiah Thomas played there. Well, but That, that was 40 yeah. years ago. I've had and I'm an alum. Like, I felt this. When I was a student journalist, when I was one of these, like, hard-ass student journalists, I was like, I'm not rooting for the team. I'm only covering, you know, I'm covering it objectively. I would get so furious about people touting five banners, 1987. Right. I know, I feel like sacrilegious saying, saying this in this state it's right now. It's totally but, true. Like, I wasn't alive when that happened. Like, so holding on to that part of the past, if you look outside of the bubble, more or less, the people that they're trying to entice to come to Indiana, to, you know, have the Adidas branding behind, like, major marketing deals, whatever it is, they're selling a dream of the past that doesn't exist That's in the exactly current time. Correct. But... You're, the people who are holding on to that are the ones who prom- who are promoting, oh, wow, how could somebody not want this opportunity through an NIL deal or a booster collective, whatever it is? So you graduated from Indiana in 2012, right? In 12, yep. So you graduated from high school in not eight? eight? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you were, in 2006, you were, like the time that Indiana really got on your radar of going to school was probably about 2006, yep. mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So 2006. So if you look right now at today's player that is so get like an indiana selling point that, that indiana fans think is of calbert cheney sure like calbert cheney damon bailey like you know da, da, da. calbert cheney played in 1993 right so a kid right now that is a senior in high school 1993 was 31 years ago right that yeah. kid's 16 years so 15 years before he was born right so if you look at it that way, I, I'm just doing quick math on the year that you were born. I'm not trying to date 90. you here, right? 1990, okay. Mm-hmm. So how relevant to you was Quinn Buckner with Scotty May? Not relevant, but I also didn't grow up in Indiana. Like if you grow up here, you're okay. entrenched in it. But to me as somebody, for, as an outsider, like How relevant history, to you was Jerry Sloan as a bull? Not very relevant right. because it was such an it was a completely different era. And that's my point. Like nothing against any of those guys, right? But mm-hmm. I'm saying like today's high school sophomore, high school junior blue chip recruit, he didn't care about Calvert Chaney. He didn't care about Damon Bailey. He didn't know about any of those guys, right? Because mm-hmm. it's the same thing. And that's that's I think Indiana's biggest challenge, quite frankly. I mean, a totally different rabbit hole, but nonetheless. No, but, I agree. I mean, it's this is the world we live in doing sports talk in Indianapolis, <laughs> right? Um, this. Back to the back to the combine, which is the reason you're here. Courtney Cronin joins us, of course, from Chicago, and the Bears are kind of the big player in this draft because of the fact that they sit at number one. From the things that you hear, the things you talk about in Chicago, this is a draft that's deep at what position? Wide receiver, for sure. Um, I think we're going to see a lot go in the first round, and there is a gap between the top three and the rest of the group. Um, offensive tackles, edge rushers, those are like the top three positions 
as far as like strength. Uh, because last year we didn't have a deep edge class, which is good for a team like the Bears at potentially nine to utilize that pick on a defensive lineman to pair him with Montez Sweat. But there's, you know, you have like the safety class will start picking up on day two. We'll start to see the linebackers go on day two. But I think that there's like those three like the, and quarterbacks. I mean, there's there's five quarterbacks who are probably going in the first round. That's, you know, we couldn't say that about last year's group. I can tell you that much. And, you know, it all is such a it's like the positions are so top heavy, because if you expect one through three are quarterbacks, four, five, six are wide receivers off the board. And then when does your run start on defensive linemen? Is it eight and nine to Atlanta to Chicago? And then when do the offensive line like it feels like almost like sectioned like quarterbacks will go here. And I know we play this thing out every year and expect it to, you know, go the way that we expect it to go and if there will be some team like the Houston Texans that fleeces all of us and are thinking well, by doing what they did. Yeah. And then the other the, you always have to count on either Washington or the Raiders also making a ridiculously stupid <laughs> pick outside the box that throws everything into a tizzy, right? Well, I mean, Mike Mayock's not the GM anymore, so I don't know if you're going to get any overdrafts for, you know, cornerbacks who, you know, are on meth and getting arrested for that. Did you see the Damon Arnett thing the other day? Really? Wild. Yeah, he was really his fourth arrest in the last couple of years. Arrested in possession of meth. That's like Jeremy. Real thing. That's like Jeremy Mayfield stuff, right? <laughs> it's insane. What? But yeah, no, you're right about that. There's always one team that you just shake your head at every single year. But how on earth? I mean, Detroit was that last year, except that it panned out because it was Jack Campbell and Jameer Gibbs, and we we're all looking at yeah, being like, Gibbs was the one that everybody's yeah. like, "What are they doing? What and are then, you doing at 12? And then yeah, lo and behold, NFC North champion team right there, and they sing, they seem to get it right. Bears with one and nine in the first round of the NFL draft. Courtney Cronin of ESPN.com is our guest. We've talked about what they might do at one, what's the likelihood they would be enticed with how deep offensively, especially at wide out this draft is, to move back from nine? I think that, you know, depending upon how the board falls, like, let's let's just assume they're taking a quarterback. Let's that It's part of the equation, so there's not yeah. extra picks here. Their picks right now are one, nine, gap to like 78, I believe, because they traded that pick, their second rounder, to Washington for Montez Sweat. So... You know, depending upon how the board falls, I don't think they're going to reach if a player that they'd like is is within their reach if they wanted to move back in the first round. So maybe that's one way to get the center position solved. If you can go back to like 17, 18, move back from nine, pick up that first rounder, pick up a second in the process because they need to close that gap. I could see them doing that and even still getting a receiver later in the first yeah. round. I just don't think, you know... What they do in free agency, given how good of a group of defensive linemen they're going to be available in the next coming weeks, I think it's really going to dictate what the Bears do at. Like, it's going to foreshadow their draft plans. How much did the dynamic of the NFC North change in the last year when you look at what Jordan Love... Look, I, I was very critical of him going into the season, and he proved me and a lot of people wrong with what he was able to do in Green Bay. The Lions speak for themselves, making that historic run in the NFC Championship game, and then the Vikings have a decision to make with Kirk Cousins. And like you mentioned, the Bears with Caleb Williams and Justin Fields. Where is the state of the North with what's happened in the last if you don't, year? If, and that's a great question, because if you're the Bears, if you don't get this quarterback thing right, the gap is further widened between where you are and where the Lions are. I mean, Jared Goff, he just get, he's going to get paid this offseason. Jordan Love, they hit on him. They hit on a quarterback again, so I know that's to much to the chagrin of everybody else in the division where they get it right three times in a row. 
I think Cousins has the Vikings between a rock and a hard place, and he can rake them over the coals if he wants to one more time because they're not a team to move from 11 all the that, way that, up. That's that fellow that one. does play-by-play for the Vikings was over Paul here. Paul Allen, yeah. yeah. He needs a haircut. You want, me, you want me to tell him that? Yeah, he needs a haircut. He looks like, uh, JMV said he looks like Beethoven. He kind of does. <laughs> oh, my right? God. He kind of does, right? <laughs> he it, You didn't see it gelled up, though. For game day, it's like perfectly quaffed all the way back. And that's like with the eyebrows and the gray hair and the curls. Like That is his look. That's a brand right there. He looks like Ragnar. <laughs> Well, who's the, that's the Viking, so, by the way. By the way, did you see that Arnett, when he, the, sec, the last time that he was pull, arrested, uh, he was pulled over, they let somebody else drive the car, and then they waited like six blocks later and pulled the car back over, and he was driving again. <laughs> like, that's not... That's not it, Character concerns. That's why you have the combine, so you that, can, like, weed these things out so you don't draft well, somebody like that. Let's not say like weed, that. okay? Like, <laughs> although that is, you know, in, that's probably okay in Nevada. Um, last question would be this. This is the most important. You had mentioned that everybody's wearing, like, all the, everybody's wearing the swag, right? They're walking yep. around. They got the, at its core, the team logo or the colors that you have to admit deep down, you're like, if I worked for that team, I would load up on free merchandise because their stuff looks cool. Raiders by by far. And I covered them. Like silver, black, white. Like There's no better color combination. It looks good on everybody. Everybody looks good and slim wearing black. And you can wear it at all times. Like... Of course. Like, I grew up, like, I wanted a Miami Dolphins starter jacket. I didn't buy one until my sophomore year at IU because, like, kids were getting, you know, jumped for them in Chicago. My dad's like, you can't have one. So I had to wait until I was, like, 20 to go get my teal, green, orange, white Miami Dolphins starter jacket. I see a lot of people in those colors, like, walking around, but you stick out like a sore thumb when you do That's that. That's correct. Because it's a very loud color. Is there scheme. any more, is there any franchise that is a more perfect fit among relocation than the Las Vegas Raiders? No, I think I think it was. That I was mean, a, Oakland's the only city more yeah. fitting, right? Or LA, like when they were down there yeah, for yeah. A, a couple decades. But no, Vegas, I think, has been a great fit for them and for that brand to go out that there. That brand, that's exactly correct. It's it's a good it's a good fit. Now, I, I I have been very open, Courtney, about the fact of my affinity for the logo and color scheme of the Seattle Seahawks, and they're sitting two tables over to the right of us. Do you think I should go over there and just ask them if they've got any stuff? Well, see, these are the same people. Like, you're walking around being like, who's that guy? That's the assistant video yeah, yeah, guy. Yeah. Those are the people. Oh, I know, yeah, They have yeah. no pull to give you any of the gear. So, like, <laughs> that's, that's a problem. That's probably true. They're Unless act- he's going to give you the gear that they're he's only, wearing. They're working for the gear, actually. That's their <laughs> payment for the week, right? So they're not going to surrender any of it. That's no question about that. She is Courtney Cronin. You can find her work on ESPN.com all season long and all off-season long covering the Chicago Bears, one of our favorites. No relation to Mick, right? None. None. <laughs> or Kevin Cronin or any of the other. The Ario Speedwagon guy. I used oh, to yeah. get that one a lot. Well, they're from, aren't they from Illinois? They're from, yeah, they're from the South Side. Yeah, yeah. They're from like Palos or Tinley. Tinley. The one and only. Don't Courtney mess Cronin. with Tinley. No, don't, don't mess with Tinley. <laughs> Thank you, Courtney. Thanks, guys. Uh, we are here, by the way, at the Convention Center. It is NFL Combine Week. Last night at the Fieldhouse, Pacers getting a win over the Pelicans. They are in the air now on their way to New Orleans or about to take off. They have the Pelicans again, then a Texas two-step with San Antonio and Dallas. We will get back into talking a little bit about what happened last night at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, including a reason you should be optimistic as a Pacer fan if they can find consistency in one area. We'll elaborate next. You're listening to Quarry Company on 93.5107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. 
and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Jimmy, do you ever uh, get tempted to wear your clothes crisscross style? No, never, never reached that temptation. Uh, R.I.P. to one of these. Yes, I don't uh, know if it's Chris or Cross, but it was about man. That might have been when I was a senior in high school, about a decade ago, when that when when, he, when, when one of them passed, when right? passed away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, leap year day today or leap day? What is, what do we call it? Leap day? Is that what it is? Well, I think it's a gentleman from Tennessee. So leap day? I think it's leap day. Once you am hit I the talking 29. too loud, sir? The guy across the way has got headsets in and is nodding along with what I'm saying. <laughs> So, uh, you know, it makes me self-conscious, right? Leap day 29th, leap year for the entirety of 2024. I'm telling you, like... By the way, wouldn't you go all out if you were a leap day oh baby? Oh, my gosh. And it was finally me? a leap year for your birthday? Wouldn't no question. Have to go to the nines? Just go crazy? No question. I mean... That's Liv Moss territory, I think. I would think you would be... Here's... Okay, this is the reality of... And we're going to get into Pacers-Pelicans here in just a second. But the reality of life... And I I hate to give a public service announcement to those of you who are about to be disappointed by what I'm about to tell you. Okay? Birthdays are a big deal for the first 10 years of your life. You get birthday cake, you go to Showbiz Pizza or Chuck E. Cheese or whatever it might be. You have friends over. For the first five years, it's usually like your parents' friends or family members or cousins. And then until you're 10, you get gifts. Like strangers bring you gifts because it's your birthday. You didn't do anything. You just, did, you know, congratulations, you're still alive. I mean, I get it, right? Well, nowadays, that's a big accomplishment. I mean, you're right. <laughs> Can't forget so about for the, the cookie first, cake at school the either. The first 10 years, yeah, it, it, at school, it's a big deal, all of it, right? And then. Here are the birthdays of note. 16. Sweet 16, getting your license soon. Apparently now kids don't care about that, but that was a big deal. So sweet 16, big deal. 18, kind of a big deal. Don't screw anything up. You can now go to jail. You're an adult. You can buy a lottery ticket. Congratulations. 21, goes without saying, right? Big one. After that, kind of 30, kind of 40. 50, big deal. Big deal at 50, no question. You crossed the second half century of your life threshold yep. right there. No, no doubt about it. Can't forget 60. about 25, Jake. You can now rent a car legally. 25, nobody can. Eh, 25, you can rent a car, that's true. <laughs> but, no, but nobody other than than Avis and Hertz care, That's right? the biggest that's perk that people forget about, right? Like, once it once you realize, oh, I now have that power. It's it is like kind a, of the weirdest day. thing ever, right? Yeah. I mean, like, you know, yeah, I'm 24 years old, and I can, like, drive down the road with a rifle in hand on my way home from – or on my way to a bar because i got to go to the – to war tomorrow but i can't rent the car i mean come on but 50 and then maybe 60 and maybe 75 outside of that nobody cares you're 38 years old congratulations only you care you're it's your 42nd birthday congratulations nobody cares but the only exception to this is if you were born on february 29th if you're born on february 29th every like you're turning 24 throw a freaking parade because you've only really it's your sixth birthday Right? Yeah. I mean, I feel bad for these folks. I feel bad for them. Tyrese Halliburton, today, 25. Hell yes. Like, like let's throw a parade for the guy. He, he, he's 24. It's only the sixth time he's been able to look at his phone, at a calendar, at, at a newspaper, anything, and see the date of his birth. So let's go. I mean, let's celebrate full bore for these folks. 
I'm all in. That's part of the reason they. And I'm the biggest birthday cynic on the planet, right? People are like, you know, oh, you're gonna you're gonna come over for my birthday. How old are you turning? 27? No, I'm not coming over. Congratulations, you almost made it longer than Janis Joplin. Good for you. I don't care, right? But but you're born. I mean, congratulations, right? You're born on the 29th. You deserve to celebrate like there's no tomorrow. Yeah, you should go like crazy. When totally. That, when that, when the you know get triple sevens lined up, and it's finally a leap year, and it's your day on the 29th, you should have at it. Go crazy. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton is a leap year baby, and last night he was providing plenty of leap opportunities for Obi Toppin, who was playing above the rim. It was exciting and scintillating for the Pacers and their win over the New Orleans Pelicans. But the real storyline of the game to me, and it was a little one. I mentioned it earlier, but I'm going to rehash it. It was a little one. The Pacers got out to a pretty big lead, double digits right away. New Orleans had a terrible night of, I would assume, sleep. They didn't get into Indy until like 6 o'clock in the morning. They, they had looked a, it in that first tra- quarter. They did. Sure. They totally yeah. looked it. And so Indiana jumped out to a double-digit lead right out of the box. They were off and running, okay? And they basically held that kind of a comfortable lead for the vast majority of the game. But the Pelicans kind of made a run. And the late third, early fourth, lead got down. And all of a sudden, you looked up and you're like, is it a six-point game? Like, this is a two-possession game. And it, it wasn't quite white-knuckle time yet, but it was close. And then Benedict Matherin picked up two quick fouls. Benedict Matherin, who had started the game because Aaron Neesmith is still out. And, you know, Matherin played well. Again, I, I go back to... I think Matherin probably helps you most when he knows he's like your second or third option on the floor. He is still the one area for Benedict Matherin that I would still critique is there's no doubt that he's a born, natural born scorer, but he kind of gets tunnel vision in that aspect a little bit where the ball goes to him and he gets locked in like I'm taking this to the rack right now come hell or high water. And there's an element of that mentality that you love but when he's on the floor with Halliburton and Siakam, although you know a lot of times it's one or the other there, but you know he's got to know when to defer. But late in the game last night, he picks up two quick fouls, and the second being his fifth. And the game is not out of reach. The game is still within sight for the Pelicans. And the trainer for the Pacers, as he does with each foul, comes down as Rick Carlisle standing there at the table. And he kind of whispers in his ear, and he's like, okay, Ben, that's five. Five on Ben. And Rick Carlisle, with no hesitation, with, without, without even thinking about it, like as if it was just completely natural instinct, Rick Carlisle turns around and yells out, Shep, Shep. And Ben Shepard gets up and is running in. Ben Shepard, who already hit three, point, uh, you know, three, three, three point shots in the game at that point from the baseline, goes running in and checks into the game. And I thought, this is a sign of a maturity, not only of a player who, albeit was a fourth-year college player, but a player who is in his rookie year in the NBA, who at times was playing fast. And by that, I mean this. I've always, Apples and oranges, I realize I'm simply saying it to illustrate my point. When I was in high school and played high school basketball, and we would have open gym in the summertime, and I would be out there as a freshman, and I'm on the floor with guys that were going to go on to play Division One college basketball for guys like John Calipari and in the Big Ten and things like that. And I know that I'm on the floor with guys better, faster, stronger than I am. 
and the ball would come to me, and I, I mean, I was a decent shooter, and I had a pretty good scoring acumen, but the ball would come to me, and all of a sudden I would travel or I would turn the ball over because I was so hyper in trying to do the right thing that my body and my brain were moving faster than, like, the ball was coming to me. And Ben Shepard looked that way for the first 40 games or so as a pacer when he would get in because he wasn't getting in in long stretches and long spells. And now he looks like he knows that it's okay to kind of get planted and just let things slow down for him. You can see the game slowing down around him. Does this mean that Ben Shepard is going to be a starting player that is a starting two-guard in the NBA for 10 years? It does not. But what it means is that with the second player selected in the first round of the draft, they went with a guy who is experienced enough and a good enough on-ball defender that you can, with five minutes to go in a game that's within two possessions, you can call his number instead Instinctively, yep. And he can instinctively come into the game and then instinctively make plays on the defensive end or if the ball rotates to him, hit shots where he's more comfortable doing it now. And you made an outstanding point in comparison earlier, Jimmy, and the fact that what we now want to know, we're in the highway is forking for Ben Shepard in the in the rookie year here where we're going to find out if he's going to go to the right and become Chris Duarte who was a really good player but I think just once he got out of rhythm and his shot wasn't falling it derailed him to the point where it was hard to come back from or does he stay in the left lane and become a guy that is just a serviceable sixth or seventh man on a really good team for two contracts and that's what you want for him and it feels like that's where he could be going i mean that is the crossroads outline for him right is is he going to go the way the chris duarte story ended up here in indiana a year or so ago where he is being traded off and and as a throw-in piece and a deal or is he going to be and this is a credit to both kevin pritchard and chad buchanan we've seen enough of this now in the last four years that's a style of player they want they want a player that is been a four-year college guy or three to four-year college guy that feels NBA ready that you're not necessarily right out of the gate going to be asking to be as you said Jake a starting two guard leading a championship team but he's going to be a guy you can point to with five seven eleven fifteen minutes a game and he's going to deliver a couple timely threes for you some good defensive stops and not be a negative when he's on the floor that's what they thought they were getting when they drafted Chris Duarte they parted ways with him in that two to three year window of his time in Indy for Ben Shepard he fits that identical mold but I don't think I'm correct me if I'm wrong I'm not misremembering the time Chris Duarte had here they asked him to do stuff like this and it felt like you highlighted Jairus Walker the deer in headlights it felt like at times the moment was too fast too big for Duarte even in those short stints that has not been the case with Ben Shepard. There was a period late in the game last night where there was a timeout, and I looked over at Jairus Walker, and I felt kind of bad for him because he even looked like, like, why am I not in? You know what I mean? Yeah. And That's got to be tough. I mean, you're a first-round pick, but you can't envision a log jam is going to be in front of you. And I feel like in the long run for him, Jake, I, I continue to want to see more of Jairus Walker. And when he gets extended minutes, like you're seeing far more growth from where we were in that opening night back in October – but that's got to be frustrating knowing that your time is probably still a year away for what you feel like you can be in this league. Yeah, I, and you know, I have to keep reminding myself that Jarris Walker is, what, 19 or 20 years yeah. old and that he was he was even a young player for his class in, in high school and then in college. And 
that's why it's so great having Miles Turner on this team. Because I know that they, they were different roles when they first started, but Miles knows what it's like to be an 18 Fair. or 19 year yeah, old that, in this league and have expectations based on where you were drafted, and then be able to not only exceed them but but grow through them over a seven, eight, nine, ten year career. But with Walker, at some point, you know, I remember when Trent Richardson was was acquired by the Colts and watching after a couple of games and thinking to myself like I don't want to say this out loud but is is this guy a bust and and I'm not saying Jarris Walker's a bust do not get me wrong right. but what I'm saying is you get maybe a two-year window for him to go back to the G League and play and I know Rick Carlisle has been complimentary about the way that he has handled that emotionally and that they basically said to him, like, when you go to the G League, like, you need to be a leader. And they were really happy with the way that he did that. Yeah. And, you know, there's two ways. When you're going back and forth like that, you can really tell a lot about a guy's character and, and, and just his mindset, his strength, and how he handles that. But in the case of Walker, this year you kind of get that pass. But if we are – and I'm not saying we're going to be. But if we're a year from now and he is still waiting to just work his way into rotation, then you start to have that question, do you not, of like, was this the wrong pick? I think it will be very telling this offseason if there is still a logjam there or if there's a clear commitment to moving him along. Because at this stage, Jarris Walker is a guinea pig of many around the league that are taken in the first round – and because of situational circumstances, because of the setup of the roster, the G League is being used for Jarris Walker what the NBA wants it to be, which is you're splitting time. Maybe you're not getting all the NBA minutes that you anticipated you get out of the gate, but the G League is being a tool where he can grow, he can develop. He's had leadership qualities of the highest order when he has been with the Mad Ants. It's just he needs to be in the right headspace of being patient with this process. And ultimately, if he can do that, I think he's going to be a strong contributor next you year. You got picks for us next? Of course. I haven't looked at any ge- random games to pick for tonight. I Maybe have a I'll random do that. one for you. Okay. Not, so. Well, I, I appreciate that. All right, we'll get to that next, and we'll put a bow tie on it, hand it off to John. You're listening to Query Company here live from the NFL Draft Combine on the fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day, a good mix of college basketball and the NBA. We will start first with college hoops. This is the weird one for you, Jake. The Grand Canyon Antelopes are 23-point favorites tonight as they host... The University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley, the Vaqueros, a.k.a. the Cowboys. I'm going to lay the 23 on Grand Canyon tonight. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I don't want to interrupt the the fun music and stuff there. Uh Uh-oh. The the number, if you're a problem gambler, is 1-800-9-WITH-IT. It's my ICE number. I've made that clear. And there are a couple of signs of problem gambling, but one of them is living in Indianapolis and wagering on the Grand Canyon... 
UT Rio Grande school game, right? Hey, everybody finds a lane, Jake. I'm just trying to drive <laughs> through mine. Continuing with the bets, we'll lay six and a half on Washington State as they host USC tonight. That's the last bet now for College Hoops. Scoop the four for Nebraska as they're on the road against Ohio State. Scoop the four as well for San Francisco as they host Gonzaga. That one a late night contest at 11 o'clock. In the NBA, the Lakers and Clippers had a long contested affair last night. It did end in regulation, but took a lot out of L.A. to close this regular season series against the Clippers. They're now facing the Wizards tonight at home. I still think the Lakers went outright, but I'll scoop the nine on Washington against L.A. Those are the plays of the day. Eddie, do you have anything today? I do not. All right, so those are your clean-cut plays of the day. Are you jumping in, or was Grand Canyon and Rio Grande yeah, Valley no, enough I, for you? There's, there's zero that I can do to, to that's match got, that, that's gotta right? Be a, that's got to be in Channel 6 newsroom phone call, if, any, <laughs> if there's ever been one, right? Come on. Sports. Uh, yeah, do you get the uh, final of the Rio Grande uh, Grand Canyon game? Uh, yeah, let me look that up. Hang on a second. It's on the wire somewhere here. Uh, yeah, here we go. 86-65 Grand Canyon one. Was that, uh, did that go off as a 20-point spread? <laughs> <laughs> that would happen all the time. Uh, by the way, on a uh, on a more serious note, you know, if, if you recall on Tuesday, I believe it was, I was late to the show because I was a prospective juror on jury duty. Yes. And so I sat in the courtroom for three rounds of jury selection. The defendant was in the courtroom. So to, you know, obviously both attorneys and it was a it was a murder case. Um, and, you know, I was obviously curious about it. I, that would be clearly a, a big responsibility, right? Um, and so it is kind of odd, not odd, but, you know, it's a, it's a surreal thing because I, I sat there for three and a half hours with the people who ended up on the jury of that. Uh, this from WTHR just an hour ago. They did convict the man that was the alleged, well, not alleged now, but the convicted murderer. So the jury that that, um, I went through the process of selection did find, and that's, you know, listen, that would be, um, I would think, both an emotional feeling and and one of also a civic responsibility, though, but to know that, because you would be sitting there thinking to yourself, because I was, as we were sitting there, I was thinking, well, so wait a minute, like it would be the responsibility of potentially altering this man's life forever and then but you forget when you're sitting there in their presence that they're there because they are charged with altering and taking someone else's right yeah um so anyway they they that was a jury that that did their civic duty and uh found a conviction so what you're so saying you is go. we would have seen you by tomorrow correct i mean right. they just now right like the, the, they just now so it would have been a three-day deal yep three-day deal uh all right we're back at it tomorrow here at the combine the nfl combine jmv is up next plenty to talk about because we're getting ready for a big weekend in college basketball as well i have a feeling some pacers chat will be on his mind and the indianapolis colts thanks so much for listening to us today also thanks to matt verderame who you can find tonight at the taco bell cantina ross tucker don't forget the ross tucker football podcast courtney cronin on site here as well so for jimmy cook i'm jake query we will talk to you again tomorrow at noon on 93.5 and 107 five the fan